BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I gotta know, I gotta know how much or how deep you got into last night's uh, national championship game. Georgia was dominant. We all saw it on the football field. A lot of people today questioning, did, did TCU belong in the game? Of course they belong in the game, right? This is what the semifinals gave us. Georgia walks off a winner. A lot of tentacles and a lot to unpack here. I want to know what your experience was like last night in watching the game. And I want to know, like, if you were describing what happened in the national championship game to a friend who didn't see the game. Let's just say, hey, you know, somebody was, uh, the power went out at their house. They were unable to watch the football game. And you have an opportunity to go and say, hey, here's what happened last night. I don't know if you saw it, but what would you tell that person? 503-417-7575 is the number. I want a lot of phone calls off the top of the show today. This opening segment is normally me ranting about this or ranting about that. I'm going to let other people rant today. I want to hear from you. Did you leave the game and and uh, go reorganize your sock drawer? I stayed with it, but I stayed with it in part because it's kind of my job to stay with it. I wanted to watch it all the way to the finish. I wanted to see what the Georgia players were going to do late in this game. I wanted to know if Kirby Smart was going to take the uh, foot off the gas and you know, you know, know, look up and go, hey, I got enough. I don't need to embarrass TCU here. Did he go out of his way to embarrass TCU? Or is that just competition, what Georgia was doing last night? Also, some questions about Stetson Bennett today. Uh, and I think it's a good discussion, given that the Pac-12 Conference has got quarterbacks like Cam Rising and Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. Uh, all coming back, older guys all coming back. We just saw this last year, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, uh, a sixth-year starter at quarterback. We'll never again see a sixth-year starter at quarterback. Uh, because of the pandemic, he got an extra year. And you have uh, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA made a huge difference, the experience that he had. But Stetson Bennett's age has come up today as a lot of people discussing and debating and pointing out that Stetson Bennett is older than some of the quarterbacks who are starting the wild card weekend with teams in the playoffs who happen to be in the NFL, including Justin Herbert. Stetson Bennett's 25. He went to Georgia, then went to a community college, then he went back to Georgia, and he has now been there for multiple years. He has back-to-back national championships. Um, is this a problem for you, or do you sort of see this as, hey, this is kind of the new way of college football, you're going to have some older starters at quarterback, and in fact, the Pac-12 Conference is going to participate in that next season. Want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. What would be the thing that you would tell a person who didn't see the game? Because I would probably start by saying it wasn't much of a game. Georgia boat raced TCU, and I told you that they would win by double digits. I did not expect 65-7. to I did not expect... Kirby Smart after the game, uh, you know, parading around. I didn't expect Sonny Dykes in the post game being, you know, understandably uh, down about what happened. Sort of just, you know, it was like, it was almost like the aftermath of a heavyweight fight that didn't come out of like the first minute, like Mike Tyson knocking out the opposition in the opening minute. 
Here with Sonny Dykes, coach at TCU after the game. Well, obviously you got to give Georgia a ton of credit. I mean, they showed what kind of football program they have, and we've got some players over there that are pretty special. And, um, you know, obviously we didn't do a great job getting our guys prepared. We've been on a heck of a run, and it seemed like we just ran out of steam a little bit tonight. And, you know, again, you got to give your hats off to Georgia and, and what they did. And, obviously, we uh, you got to improve. You know, our goal is to get back on the stage like this, and you know, we're going to have to roll our sleeves up, go to work, and, and uh, still have a long way to go. Uh, before we're ready to compete, but I'm really proud of our guys for what they've done. You know, to come this far in a year is pretty remarkable, and got a lot of guys in that locker room that are hurt right now. Sonny Dykes uh, saying he didn't do a good job of preparing his team. I don't think it would have mattered. I mean, I just think Georgia was that good and happened to be awake, alert, playing with urgency. I think uh, the way that Ohio State pressed Georgia in the semifinal and, and could have easily eliminated Georgia in the semifinal and made this whole thing moot. Uh, I think that you look at you know the way that Georgia played in the in the semifinal and you go oh that probably didn't help TCU. Like it got the attention of Georgia undefeated a team that was seeking a back-to-back national championship now they're talking about a three-peat we'll get a visit from Chip Towers our old friend at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He covers Georgia football. He'll be joining us here coming up in about 10 minutes Later in the show, former Oregon Ducks running back and college football Hall of Fame inductee LaMichael James will be with us to talk about going into the Hall of Fame, what he thought of last night's game. But I want your phone calls right off the top of the show today. What would you tell somebody? What was the experience like for you in watching this game last night? Uh, Stetson Bennett's age. Uh, the you know How do you explain what happened last night to a casual observer who really doesn't follow college football? Like as I'm sitting there with my daughters watching the game, my 8-year-old my and my 6-year-old watch enough football with me that they knew this was a big game. In fact, I came you know out of the studio last night. The game was already in the first quarter. The 8-year-old was already in position. She was like, Dad, it's a championship game. We put it on, and the Georgia Bulldogs just boat raced TCU. You saw it. And she was going, wow, wow, at every touchdown. Wow, oh, they're so much better. Oh, this is going to be a blowout. How can this be? I was having to explain to her, like, hey, this is, this is a elite team that has recruited at a higher level than just about anybody else in college football over the last few years who is, uh, you know, just primed to play, like playing against a team that, probably was uh, more of a byproduct of the four-team invitational tournament than the rest of us would like to admit. Like, if you really want to bracket out the top 12 teams in college football, I think, you know, you would have probably put Ohio State on the other side of the bracket and maybe ended up with Ohio State and Georgia in the national championship game. Even though the AP poll tells us that Ohio State's the number four team in America, I'm not buying that after what I've seen in this playoff. If I have to re-rank these teams one to four, I'm going Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, TCU 3, Michigan 4. And, you know, TCU beat Michigan head-to-head. No way around it. AP poll can, you know, comes out today and, you know, everybody's sort of looking at it going, hey, we got a problem with this, got a problem with that. You're never going to make everybody happy. But the top four clearly played out on the field in a way that tells us who's 1, who's 2, who's 3, and who's 4. Steven, I want to know what you thought of this. We're going to go to the phone lines here shortly. But, Steven, how would you explain what happened last night to somebody who didn't see it? Yeah, I would say uh, if they're a football fan, it's the JV versus the varsity. And, and that's what it looked like to me. I mean, from the get-go, Georgia just looked like the bigger, stronger, faster team. And no matter what TCU did, 
if it was a good play for TCU, it seemed like it was four yards. Every play Georgia had on offense, it was a first down every single time. So it just looked like two different sports out there. And that you know, it's what we expected, not to this extreme, but we both like Georgia minus the points. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, the question now is, you know, how does this stop? Because this was a Georgia team who we knew was going to be really good, right? They were top five for a reason preseason, but they did lose a lot to the NFL draft. You go back and look at the NFL draft, it was basically all Georgia players. And they come back and they just dominate this entire season. You know, how much better are they than every other team in college football? Or is it just this one recruiting class that Kirby Smart has put together that is this dominant going forward? Man, I I don't know, man. But it was uh, it was an impressive win by Georgia uh, to put it on TCU. And I did like that uh, Kirby Smart didn't really hold back. He just he just kept going for it and trying to get as many points as possibly could. Yeah, he kept going. He I think they were trying to make a statement. They're now talking about a three-peat, back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Let's go to the phone lines. Tony's in Oregon City. Tony, uh, what'd you think? What'd you see? Hi, John. Um, I saw a lot, and what I would tell somebody is that that Georgia went full circle, and what they did to Oregon at the beginning of the season was no joke, and the the exclamation point was last night. Yeah, and I think if you're an Oregon fan, uh, you know, I don't like... Yeah, yeah. So I don't like consolation prizes, Tony, but you had to watch that and feel a little better about that first oh, week. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think I think Dan Lanning probably sitting around like he's never going to say this, like probably sitting around going, you know what? We don't look so stupid right now because Oregon moved the ball at least on Georgia. Oregon had 300 plus yards of offense. TCU had 188. Oregon had first downs in the game. Oregon was able to move, move the ball a little bit and move the chains a little bit. Is As lopsided as the game was, Oregon gained 313 yards and had 21 first downs. TCU had nine first downs, 188 yards of offense. It was evident that Georgia was locked in to this game. And I don't want Georgia to lower the bar. This is a little bit, you know what I thought about last night as I watched this, it's a little bit like UConn women's basketball back in the day. We have kind of a little dynasty going on here. Now, if Georgia could keep this up over three, four, five, six, seven years, we have a whole other conversation. But I don't want to hear people today saying, well, we don't need a 12-team playoff because Georgia's so dominant. Look, it wouldn't have mattered. I still want to see it played out on the field. Jay is calling from Sisters, wants to talk about the national championship game. What's up, Jay? Hey, hey, how you doing, John? Doing well. Kind of like the last caller, I was going to kind of say, like if it's a football fan, just say it's the – the Oregon game, but add a touchdown per half. But um, if it's a non-sports fan, it's kind of like, you know, at the end of Old Yeller when they had to take them behind the shed. That's basically what last night was. So um, one one last thing, a healthy Oregon mid-year uh, and a healthy TCU. Uh, I think Oregon uh, it, it was a better team this year than TCU after seeing that last night, considering Oregon played them in the very first game of the year. And TCU had three, two and a half, three weeks to prepare. So, uh, yeah, it looks good for Oregon. Have a good night. Yeah, I, I feel like if you're an Oregon fan or a Pac-12 fan in general, you probably left last night going, gosh, I think USC or Oregon or maybe even Utah could have, uh, you know, gone out and got beat 65-7 to seven or mean, done better. Even Oregon State. Couldn't Oregon State have yes. a better fight? yes. Because, look, because I just think the way that TCU tried to play them, too, was really interesting. There was a point in the early part of the game where it was 10-7 and Georgia was looking at a third down. And I thought, here's a moment. If TCU is going to be a factor in this game, 
they're going to come after Georgia. And they laid back. They dropped eight. And, you know, Stetson Bennett had a cup of coffee in the pocket and then just picked him apart. And, you know, I know, I get it. Like, I was there in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for, for the, you know, opener at the Chick-fil-A season opener with Oregon played Georgia. I saw it in person. Georgia's tight ends, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, all physically superior, faster, bigger, stronger. It makes it very easy for the people who are calling the plays. But I look back at that game and I go, gosh, Oregon put up 300 yards, had 21 first downs. That was way better effort than what TCU managed in the title game. And again, Georgia, you know, they're locked in. It's, you know, they're they're looking for 15 and 0. They're looking for a back-to-back championship. And, and you know, what's standing between them is TCU. So, it's possible that, you know, nobody in the world would have beat Georgia in the title game. But I don't want to sit here and say we shouldn't have these teams play a playoff because Ohio State almost got them. New Year's Eve, save for a shanked field goal. Ohio State's playing TCU in the title game. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, what's up, man? So, uh, hey, John. Uh, nice to talk to you. So after week one, I called and I said that, you know, there wasn't a team in the nation that was going to beat Georgia because they felt like they had something to prove. And, you know, last night they weren't just bigger, faster, stronger. They were also better coached. They were better prepared. They got they got startled by Ohio State. And like you said, you know, I'd rather be lucky than good. And last week they got lucky, or you know, for the Ohio State game. And, uh, you know, they were better coached. They were better prepared. Every one, The one time they scored a big uh, play, it was a blown coverage, and it didn't happen again the whole game. You know, yep. those boys yep. were ready to play, and I'm not sure there's another team, including Ohio State or Alabama, that could have beat them last night. Yeah, I, and look, I think if they were going to lose, it was going to be in the semifinal round. And I do want to see 12 teams. I do want to see automatic qualifiers. I do want to see w- real playoffs. In the same way that I'm looking at the NFL playoffs, and I'm going, hey, most of these NFL teams we wouldn't pick to get to the Super Bowl. We would pick the Bills or the Chiefs, or we would pick the Eagles or the Niners. Most of us would. But we have been surprised in the Super Bowl, and we have been surprised by who shows up or who walks off with the hardware over the years. A five-seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers team walks away with the Super Bowl. So keep an eye on the playoffs in the NFL, and then tell me that you don't think we should be expanding because, hey, nobody was going to beat Georgia. That's fine. If Georgia wins 10 out of 10 playoff tournaments, that's fine. But let's play the damn thing. Let's let it get settled on the field. Chip Towers is the beat reporter, covers Georgia football for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He'll be with us next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We'll be visiting with Michael James, former University of Oregon running back, Hall of Fame inductee. He'll be joining us at 4 o'clock. Once you hear from that, if you are a Duck fan or a college football fan or a Michael James fan or maybe just somebody who goes, hey, it's pretty cool that somebody from the Pac-12 conference or somebody from uh, the state of Oregon who played their college ball in the state of Oregon is getting that opportunity uh, to uh, showcase himself in the College Football Hall of Fame. I think it's a big deal. Obviously, when you think back to that era of football, LaMichael James, uh, even Marcus Mariota, uh, you look at you know the greatness that uh, those teams put forth, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And hell, what we saw last night on the field, uh, you know, at SoFi Stadium, sort of reminds us of how close Oregon was when they played Auburn 
at the end of the 2010 season, uh, January of 2011, in Glendale, Arizona, for the national championship and lost 22-19 to Auburn in that game. It shows you how dang close Oregon was to having the kind of moment that Kirby Smart and Georgia had last night. Uh, we're efforting Chip Towers, the uh, beat reporter, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, I uh, touched base with him this morning. He'll be with us momentarily. He's had a busy day. Uh, you think about this. Like, the last time I saw Chip Towers, the uh, beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who covers Georgia football, uh, he's done it now for the better part of three decades. He's going to celebrate his 25th anniversary at the newspaper he's currently at. And before that, he was at the Athens Banner Herald, right out of college. He went to the University of Georgia. Uh, but uh, Chip Towers was, the last time I saw him was at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We were, uh, I was leaving the stadium. Oregon had uh, been pantsed 49-3 to by the Bulldogs in that season opener, the Chick-fil-A classic or whatever they called the thing. Uh, it was uh, a drubbing. And a lot of you tuned it out early in that game. And, and, and a lot of us, I think, dismissed it as unfortunate that Oregon had to play that game in the opening week of the season, would it have been better had they had, you know, two or three games under their belt, Dan Landon got a chance to coach a game, you know, not have that be his first game? Of course it would have been. But I don't think if they play that game a hundred times that Oregon beats Georgia in any of them. But I think Oregon could have looked better. And I wondered last night, as Georgia was laying it on TCU, 65-7, to uh, I wondered last night if uh, Oregon fans, and Oregon in particular, just felt a little measure of redemption in some weird way that, you know, hey, it wasn't just Oregon. It, you know, I looked back over the course of Georgia's season. They didn't beat anybody as bad as they beat TCU in the title game. Their previous most lopsided game was 55 nothing over Vanderbilt. Uh, 65-7 to tops that. So it's really interesting to kind of look at Georgia's season and kind of get that context for what went down last night. And Stephen, I don't know if, like it, I don't know if what you know. Did you turn the game off? I stayed with it to the end because I just, I thought I want to see this. But you know, Georgia's players were you know celebrating in the second half. They're on the sideline, you know, and I don't know that I can blame them for it. Yeah, uh, you know, we were at the studio. I kept it on, but it wasn't like I was really paying attention during the pulse with uh, Peter Sampson. We were talking about are they going to put up seventy. Like that was that was the intrigue in the game was how many points is Georgia going to score, and the question I was you know kept thinking about last night was had Georgia got upset by Ohio State, would TCU have even put up a game against Ohio State? I I don't think that they would have. I I just think that those teams you know TCU was a solid team all season long. They got some wins, but you know you say they did belong, which they did based off their resume, but they just weren't on the same level as a Georgia team, and I think it's just goes to the fact that you look at Georgia and the SEC and their recruiting stuff, you know, when this does does go to a 12 team playoff, you know, how many SEC teams are going to get into that 12 team playoff and how many are going to advance? Are we ever going to have a final four where it's all SEC? Like I, those are the things I started to think about going forward, but yeah, you know, I I kept it on. I wasn't uh too locked in on it, but I just, I did want to see how many points Georgia could end up putting on them. The people keep asking today, did GCU deserve to be there? And I think it's a ridiculous question. They of course they did. Like, you know, they, they did what was necessary to be one of the top four teams in the polls. Um, you know, do I think they were the second best team? No. Uh, and I think it was evident last night watching. Like, you know, 65-7 to 7 doesn't happen to Ohio State or Michigan. 
Uh, 65 to 7 doesn't happen to Oregon. 65 to 7 doesn't happen to USC. So I, I think TCU, you know, much like, you know, in the NCAA tournament, you sometimes see mismatches. And, you know, it is about the matchup. And TCU just did not match up very well with Georgia. And I also think Georgia was just infinitely more talented than anybody else in the field. And, and credit to Georgia, credit to Kirby Smart, credit to what they're doing in recruiting. They're spending money. They're recruiting good players. They're playing in the best conference in the country. And, you know, they're putting it together. But I don't think anybody else should lower the bar. I do think that the Pac-12 should take notice of what Georgia's doing and what the SEC is doing. There's no way that the Pac-12 should be playing nine conference games versus eight, especially when they're going to expand to the field of 12. You're just including one more opportunity for everybody else to lose one more game. You should go down to eight conference games. I find it interesting that the Pac-12 has still not released a schedule. Last night on the broadcast, Kurt Herbstreet, one of the one of the uh, broadcasters that was on the uh, call, was just filling time late in the broadcast, and he started talking about Colorado, which I think is interesting because if you're a Pac-12 fan, you know, we didn't talk about Colorado during the season much, other than is Carl Durrell going to get fired? We didn't talk about Colorado very much in the last few years. Um, you know, they had a little uptick under Mel Tucker. They had, you know, during the pandemic, they were they were kind of interesting that one season. Um, but, you know, they had Sam Neuer at quarterback. They were just, they were kind of gamey. But I think it was interesting to see that on the national championship broadcast, the conversation suddenly pivots to Deion Sanders and the season opener for Colorado. And Kirk Herbstreet says something that I don't think the Pac-12 wants out there. He, he lets on that the Pac-12 conference schedule is not out yet. And, you know, we're looking all along at, at uh, Colorado and we're going, okay, they're going to play TCU and they're going to play Nebraska in their first two games. And Kirk Herbstreit says, no, they're not. He says Deion Sanders told him that Colorado's going to open in week zero against Arizona State. I think that's really interesting. I think it sort of suggests that the Pac-12 doesn't want Deion Sanders' first game as a head coach in the, in the conference to be broadcast on some other network playing against a Big 12 team or a Big 10 team. You know, Pac-12 wants that first time that Deion Sanders is on the sideline in the Pac-12 probably to be on the Pac-12 network or to be on one of their broadcast partner uh, broadcasts. So I think, you know, last night they led on week zero will be uh, Colorado and Arizona State. Now, we don't have any of the rest of the schedule. Rick George, the Colorado AD, told me yesterday he expects it out in the next nine days. I had sort of set the over-under as today. Looks like you should have had the over. All right, we're efforting Chip Towers. He's in L.A. We're uh, going to grab him and get him on the phone. We have LaMichael James coming up top of the hour. We're going to take a quick break here. you got the BFT statewide. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I wrote a column today at johnconzano.com kind of outlining how good Georgia was, how much better Oregon might feel about itself. Uh, if you're reading me, you're reading me now at johnconzano.com exclusively. Get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you works for me. Uh, Chip Towers of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution says he will call us. He'll call in here in about 10 minutes, guys. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll do a little uh, seven or ten minutes here, and then we'll take a break, and we'll get Chip Towers. 
Um, and uh, he said he is uh, stuck in a news coverage situation, and he will be right with us to talk about Georgia's season. Now, the, the scuttlebutt in L.A. in the media lounge this morning was about Georgia three-peating. They, we saw when they brought in their backups last night, those backups were still better than TCU's starting players. Uh, is a three-peat good for college football? Or would it be great for college football for somebody else to have a turn next season? Peter Sampson, what do you think on that front? Man, I think in a way a three-peat might actually be good. I mean, we want more competition. We At least we say we do. But what we've seen over, you know, at least the decades I've been watching sports is dynasties are good for uh, viewership numbers in the sport overall. You know, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's the Cowboys when I was a kid, the Patriots. I didn't personally love all those, but you can't deny the, the amount of jersey sales, ticket sales, TV ratings. Uh, I'm curious if they can do it again, especially with the transfer portal, obviously, college sports has such a short window you know to contend anyway with so much roster turnover i think it might be a good thing i I think dynasties are interesting in that they you know we we love when the 49ers were good we love when the dallas cowboys were a brand the yankees in the playoffs we love when the green bay packers had their run dynasties in the nfl work Dynasties in college football, I do worry kind of about the makeup of the college football playoff in the last couple few years. All these teams that are east of the Rocky Mountains and viewers of college football on the western part of the United States, particularly the Pacific time zone, all going, hey, we don't participate in this. So I don't think it's necessarily bad if Georgia wins five or ten in a row, but what I would like to see is... I would like to see a Pacific time zone team participate in this thing, and I don't think waiting until they expand to 12 is the right thing. I, I think it would be really interesting to see Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, somebody get into the playoff so that the Pacific time zone can go, hey, you know, we have a team here that's part of this. You know, We are participating in this. We are tuned in because right now you know, we got as far west as TCU. And when you look at the college football playoff participants in the last few years, it's almost like you just take a complete third of the country and lop it off and say, hey, guess what, guys? There's nothing for for you to see here. Yeah, won't it be so much more impressive and we can be more proud, like be you know excited about a dynasty when it is the 12-team playoff, like you said, because when it's the four-team invitational, you, know, you look at it last year, they didn't even win their conference and they still got in, where at least when it's 12 teams – they're going to be facing more quality opponents, and we know the SEC will schedule that cupcake at the end of the year. Their out-of-conference schedule is never the best. So I think like once it goes to 12 teams, you can at least argue, okay, well, they had to beat two top 10 teams you know, that had to prove themselves all season long. Where TCU, there were some questions, but if you have to beat them and another team, like I think it's going to be so much better for them. Uh, you know, and it's going to be all over the country, like you said. There's always a lot of razzle-dazzle when it comes to the playoff, when it comes to the championship you know, game and you know, the hoopla and the VIP rooms and whatever, you know, it's, there's no better word. It's just, it's razzle-dazzle time, right? The Super Bowl has that as well. You get a whole two two weeks of it, big run-up. But, um, you know, here's what I think. Like, if, if Ohio State had beat Georgia and advanced to the title game, we would have had Ohio State and TCU, neither of which who won their own conference in the regular season. Think about this. You know, Kansas State beat TCU for the, uh, you know, the Big 12 championship game. And, and Michigan beat Ohio State. And you would have had 
no conference champions in the title game. And I'm okay with that because it's in the spirit of what we see in other sports. Like in, in the NCAA tournament, when North Carolina gets to the title game and wins it all, nobody complains that North Carolina didn't win you know, their conference championship. Nobody complains that they had a lower seed. You know, everybody just goes, hey, they, they, they got it done. They proved it on the court. The same can be said, I think, when we get to 12 teams. And we may get some blowouts. We may get some horrible games. Georgia may beat somebody 49 nothing in the opening round. People go, oh, we shouldn't even be playing these games. No, we should. That's the spirit of things. And NFL Wildcard Weekend has the potential to give us some blowouts too. So I'm going to stay with that, and I'm going to continue to say, look, you can have all the razzle-dazzle in the world when you get to the end of the rainbow and the college football playoff title game, the Super Bowl, whatever. But what needs to happen in the lead-up to that is it needs to be settled on the field and not in a room with 12 or 16 members of a committee handing out invitations. And, you know, if you win your conference championship, you should be in the 12-team playoff. And I want to see the Pac-12 champion play the Big 12 champion, play the SEC champion, play the Big 10 champion, play the runners-up, uh, you know, whoever gets the at-large berth. But settle it on the field, not in some room with a committee going, ah, I think TCU and Ohio State and Michigan and, of course, Georgia belong in this playoff. Let's go to Roy in Portland, who probably hasn't been to sleep all night. Roy, what was that like for you? Man, John, I, I just I, – I, I told you what was going to happen, John. I did, you know. Uh, it's it's no we we had a kings of college football. It's nobody it, nobody's even close, man. I mean, I don't care who you put on that field last night; they was gonna get beat. I, it, it, it's nobody. We ran through college football. Uh, it, it's, it's nobody that can compete right now. I mean, um, I think we're gonna win again next year. It's uh, it's gonna be a dynasty, and um. There's nothing anybody can do about it, you know. It's just you got the combination of you got uh, four-star, five-star players and good coaching, and that, and, that, and that can't be beat. Kirby took Nick Saban's playbook, man, and just followed it to a T. I think um, he one-upped I just, him. I mean, uh, he even one-upped him. They're outspending Alabama in recruiting. I mean, they're just going, hey, we're going to go get better players, and we're going to go further, and we're going to do more. And, but look at this, Roy. I mean, you almost lost on New Year's Eve, right? You know that. Yeah, yeah, we almost we almost lost, and uh, you know that's a that's a big concern. And yeah, we almost lost, but it was too. If somebody's going to beat us, it's going to be somebody that got good recruiting over years. You just can't have one or two top ten classes. You have to have multiple top five classes, top three classes to beat a Georgia or, or you know to beat Georgia or Alabama or you know to to repeat in the in the in the college football and, uh, for a championship. And I don't care if it was 12 teams. If it was 12 teams, eventually the cream is going to rise to the top. Eventually, you know, if you throw I, – I think if you put 12 teams in there, at the end of the day it still would have been Ohio State, Georgia, you know, maybe Alabama. Just just off the fact of the recruiting classes, man. I mean, you, you have – it's only about four – Four to five schools that's bringing in top, top. I said, well, I say Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Maybe you could throw in a Clemson in there. Maybe a USC. Outside of that, I mean, you could say Oregon. You know, they've been recruiting good, but 
I mean, outside of those teams, you're not going to win. The national championship is going to be coming from from these teams. If you look back at the last years, only a couple teams won a national championship. Who? Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, uh, Ohio State. And it's that it really hasn't been anybody else outside of that to win a national championship. I mean, in the last, what, 10, 20 years. Oh, well, LSU, let me, I forgot about LSU. You had a Florida State in there one year. But, I mean, you're going to get a one-year team, you know, every now and then, especially with the 12-team playoff. But as far as a dynasty is concerned, you know, you know I, I can see it's just it's going to be like a Georgia, Alabama, or Ohio State. You know, yeah, so. and I don't mind, and I don't mind that. But what I want is I want the conference champion from the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve to be part of this. I like seeing Cincinnati in there last year. I like seeing TCU in there this year. I didn't even mind Notre Dame three years ago, even though they got beat thirty one fourteen by Alabama. Like I don't mind seeing that because it's getting it's getting proven on the field. Like win the thing on the field. Georgia won it on the field. There was no question anymore. Yeah, but I, I really didn't enjoy last night though. I mean, I enjoyed it. But I, I mean, but it's like I knew it was over with before play. I knew TC. There was no way TCU was beating us, no way. And that's what it, it's, it's going to be blowout games in this twelve-team playoffs because I mean, yeah, it's a nice story. See, this is not like college basketball when you can like get a team hot in the tournament. Somebody goes crazy from the three-point line. It's not like that with football. So you get these teams, yeah, they may win their conference, but they have no shot at winning. The ACC, whoever won the ACC was not going to win. Whoever won the Pac-12 was not going to win if they got in. Whoever won, you know, these, I don't know, the the Big 12. TCU didn't even win the Big no, 12. they didn't even win it. Ohio State I mean, didn't win the Big 10. I mean, but, I, you yeah. know, Ohio State was that close. They make a field goal. I appreciate it, Roy. Hope you celebrate it. Uh, Chip Towers will be joining us. Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want more of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Uh, look, I still want to see it decided on the field, and, yes, you are going to get blowouts. You're going to get blowouts in the NFL playoffs too. We've seen it over the years. But you're going to occasionally have a year where, you know, somebody who, who's a five seed is going to win or, or advance to the title game and make it interesting. And I didn't mind Ohio State having a chance at the end of regulation in the semifinal to make a field goal to knock Georgia out. I didn't mind Ohio State having that opportunity, and I didn't mind Ohio State missing it because, you know, that's that's football. And TCU, they beat Michigan. They beat the Big Ten champion. They deserve to be in this game. They won 51-45, and then they got boat raced by Georgia. So, I, you know, I like that it's getting settled on the field. I still, though, look at this and go, hey, this is a four-team invitational tournament. Would TCU have even got there? Would Ohio State have been on the other side of the bracket in a 12-team tournament? We, there's a lot to unpack here because I think, you know, when they get to 12 teams, I do think the two teams that end up at the end of the rainbow amid all the razzle-dazzle are going to be the two most deserving teams. I want you to leave it here. We're going to get Chip Towers next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Georgia thumped TCU in the title game, 65-7. I thought it would be a double-digit win. I told you that, but I didn't think it would be 65-7. to 
Our next guest has been covering Georgia football and the SEC for the better part of 30 years. Went to the University of Georgia and uh, is now working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our old friend Chip Towers joining us from L.A. What are, what are you doing today? What happens in the aftermath of the game? Take us through it. Well, way too much, really, John. You know, it's uh, one of those things you want the season to go ahead and end. And uh, uh, But uh, right now I'm actually at Venice Beach, pardon me for some of the noise in the background, um, trying to get out and get something to eat in the aftermath. But as you know, the roster uh, management in, in college football nowadays is a big part of the whole thing. And so, you know, guys declaring for the draft, guys uh, deciding to go into the transfer portal, guys come out of the transfer portal, um, it's really a full-time job. So, And then, you know, we've got now until January 16th to figure out who all is declaring for the NFL draft. And Georgia's going to have a lot of guys decide to go that way as well. So uh, there's still a lot of work to do before we can put the hay in the barn, as we say around here. All right, help us out with one thing here. A lot of Oregon fans listening to this. Don't be nice. Just be accurate. 49-3 to in the opener, 65-7 last night. Did Oregon put up a better fight than TCU, or was Georgia more locked in? Ah, that's a good one, you know. I still, you know, I had a hard time explaining that Oregon game, especially as the year went uh, a little further. Other than, you know, certainly you, you got a, uh, you're under new leadership. That's a heck of a first game to come 3,000 miles across the country and play the defending national champion. So that was kind of – a not fair fight, but in a lot of ways, John, this was a not a fair fight either. And yeah, this is this you know it gave some of the critics of uh, uh, of the twelve team playoff system, you know, some fodder to fight with, you know, that uh, because there were a lot of people that didn't feel like TCU was deserving of getting into the top four after losing in the Big Twelve championship game. I might have been in that crowd, but then you know, I mean, I fully expected to be covering Georgia versus Michigan. Uh, in L.A. for the championship, but then seeing what they did against Michigan, they're like, ah, well, let's see, you know, maybe they're maybe they're better than we thought. And um, But, you know, the truth came out, you know, uh, Monday night, and the situation was big, so big for the Horned Frogs, you know, bigger than anything they expected to deal with, 201, 200 to 1 odds of making the playoffs, and there they are sitting in the championship game. It was It was not a fair fight. Chip Towers, our guest, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. That, that's a repeat. Uh, you know, what does that mean to Georgia, and how soon did, did the talk about a possible three-peat crop up? Oh, right away. I mean, we, you didn't get out of post-game interviews uh, with it, without it already coming up. And I mean, uh, yeah, listen, it wasn't just among the media. We kind of a little something that our Atlanta Journal-Constitution photographers caught with, with Kirby Smart walking off the field uh, after the game, holding the number three up to to some fans. Uh, so you know, and then of course he comes in there. Oh, I'm not thinking about that, but he is thinking about it. Uh, you know, we had the uh, champions press conference this morning uh, at the hotel, uh, the the uh, LAX uh, Marriott, and, uh, and and Kirby was saying that they were asking him, "Well, when when will you get to work on, you know, next season?" He says, "When we get on the plane." Uh, so, you know, he's, it's definitely that Nick Saban mentality, that program mentality, uh, never stop working, never stop recruiting. Uh, and there's a lot of things going on today. Uh, I was supposed to be on with you a little bit earlier, but, you know, there's just kind of 
all kinds of little sparks flying about, you know, this transfer and that transfer. And uh, so it's it's a wild time in this game, and period, you know. The quarterback position will be an interesting one. Stetson Bennett did terrific, obviously, back-to-back. He was a big part of this. Where does Georgia turn at the quarterback position next season? Well, you know, they've got three guys waiting in the wings. Nobody has waited any longer than uh, Carson Beck. Uh, Carson Beck is a uh, junior. I, I think technically he's a third-year sophomore. And um, he has, uh, uh, you know, certainly bided his time. And, I, you know, I don't know 100% um, what Kirby has told him or promised to him. But he uh, is definitely going to be considered for the position. Uh, I think he would be the first one there. Two other guys, though, they got a redshirt freshman and in Brock Vandegrift, and they've got a a uh, uh, true freshman in Gunner Stockton. And then uh, there's a lot, that's one of the things about there's a lot of uh, uh, moving and shaking going on where another guy could be added to the to the competition before all it's, it's said and done. But I would expect you to see Carson back. He was one of those guys that we all fully expected to be in the transfer portal last year. And the fact that he hung around tells me that, you know, there might have been some discussions about that before this year. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Alabama having a little dynasty and making a run and, you know, being in the playoffs so often. That is now switched to Georgia. How did that happen, Chip Towers? Well, listen, I, I tell you, it, it's interesting, boy. You, now, you want to get some people in, in a lather, talk to some Alabama fans about Kirby Smart. You know, they're, they're, they, they, they're worried. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of argument to be made. You know, Kirby Smart went to Alabama with Nick Saban when he came out of the NFL. And there's always that argument about was it Nick Saban or was it Kirby Smart, you know, in terms of those defenses being what they were at. And uh, he was a big part of their recruiting uh, that entire time that he was over there. Now he kind of brought that formula over to Georgia. And, you know, listen, Alabama's not going away. I mean, if you look at every recruiting ranking, it's usually still Alabama one. Distinguished himself, I think, these past few years has been in the development stage. Look at look at the players on this team. Lad McConkey, you know, a three-star um, uh, you know, Jalen Carter was not a five-star guy. There, there's a bunch of uh, development that I think Georgia has proven to be, you know, pretty good at, you know, under Kirby Smart. So I know the Alabama fans aren't, aren't, are worried right now. Chip Towers, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is our guest. Uh, you know, it was remarkable because last year Georgia wins the title. Fifteen players are drafted into the NFL. And Georgia does does not miss a beat, and in a lot of ways looked better, sharper down the stretch. Maybe a save for the Ohio State game. Uh, what kind of attrition to the draft do you expect, and uh, where are Georgia's hopes for retaining players right now that may be on the bubble? Yeah, the, the real question is the bubble players. I mean, they got four guys right now that uh, I've seen are. are you know, consensus first-round projections, you know, Keely Ringo, uh, Darnell Washington, the six-foot-seven. Yeah, Broderick Jones is probably, you know, to, in the national narrative, the least understood about them all. But he's been their left tackle, and he's been, I mean, close to perfect, has not given up a sack all year. Uh, and then, of course, Jalen Carter. So all four of those guys are getting first-round mention. But they have a bunch of those juniors, you know, that, 
that like in a, in a in a team full of stars and 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 one that uh, sort of uh, distributes the the workload among a lot of people. There's a lot of juniors that are probably got much higher draft value than necessarily their star value is in terms of people knowing who they are and what they do for the team. You know, juniors like Nas Stackhouse, uh, you know, uh, Warren McClendon, the right tackles at, you know, 37 consecutive starts. Um, those guys, they don't, you know, get a whole lot of headlines during the week. But those pro scouts uh, are, are all over Georgia these days. And um, and they probably are, have higher value with them than they do even with Georgia's fan base. Help us out with what happened in the semifinal with Ohio State because that's the game that I'm kind of th- left thinking about today and how close Ohio State came from from knocking Georgia out. Well, as big as this 65 to seven final score was a surprise to me. That one was a surprise to me too, and that's a complete respect to Ohio State, but. You know, I just didn't think they'd be able to do offensively what they did. And you know, I thought C.J. Stroud just absolutely played out of his mind, which should come as no surprise. But, you know, I, I said at the beginning when they when the college football playoff first came out with the with the um, with the rankings, the final rankings, you know, I said, man, they didn't do Georgia. Did Georgia be in the number one seed? They didn't do them any service by playing Ohio State in the first round or in the semifinals, you know, I thought for sure TCU would drop a spot, but I guess they couldn't just justify moving to Ohio State two spots in when they sat at home and didn't play in a championship game. And I get that. You don't want to, you don't want to uh, yep. punish a team for having to play an extra game. Hey, Chip, uh, I'm going to have, I'm part of I'm gonna, difficulty. I got to run to break. I want you to make sure you hydrate and take some time off before you jump into college basketball. <laughs> I'll, All right. I'll do it. Thank you, John. All right. Take See care. You, Thanks for joining us. All right, there's Chip Towers from Venice Beach. I love that. Uh, we got LaMichael James coming up after the break. He's in the Hall of Fame. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I'm sure you remember LaMichael James from his time at the University of Oregon where he lit it up on the field. And I thought it was really cool this week as we got news that LaMichael James has been selected for the College Football Hall of Fame. Talk about a guy who's got legacy. He's going into the Hall of Fame as part of the class of the 2023, along with Reggie Bush, Tim Tebow, Blake Freeney. This will happen December 5th in Las Vegas. And LaMichael James is the sixth Oregon player to enter the College Football Hall of Fame. Really, really cool. A lot of legacy. But I wanted to get him on the show because, you know what, I want to give him a fist bump. Want him, you know, let him take a victory lap. LaMichael James joining us now. Hey, when you found out you're going into the College Football Hall of Fame, how did, how does that happen? Do you get a phone call? What happens? Oh man, that was, it was a it was a wild uh, event, I would like to say. So I'm kind of just hanging. Uh, I get a phone call from uh, Hawk. He works at the U of O. Yeah. I mean, he has like he has so many different jobs. I don't know. I don't know exactly what he does, but you know, he's friends with like Howard Slushy at the Manning Camp. Like he's the man when you need to know something at University of Virginia. He's the guy. 
Yeah. Always been the guy. So uh, he sends me a text, and I'm like, oh, snap. Hawk sends me a text like, what's up? And, you know, I want to send you something. I can't tell you what it is. So I was like, uh, okay, you know. And usually, you know, I get stuff like this. It's like they're sending some gear. I'm getting some shoes. So I have lots of shoes. Like I'm kind of a sneakerhead, but not really. So when he sends the text, I'm like, oh, I'm about to get some, I'm about to get some cool Jordans or something. Like, can't wait. Uh, so this whole time, I'm just expecting, like, hey, man, I'm about to get some, the kicks or whatever. So when I get the box uh, of what I'm like, it sure is light. Ain't no shoes in here. And I open it up and I see it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, like, I didn't really read everything. So I'm thinking, like, maybe it's the the nomination, like, you get a football or a card just for being nominated. Because in my mind, uh, like, I feel like I was good, but I don't know if I'm, like, Hall of Fame good, you know, because it's me. So I'm not going to think of myself in that light. So I end up going on a walk and carrying on. And I'm like, wait a minute. So then I call Hawk and then, that's kind of how it unfolded. That's phenomenal. And you're expecting shoes, and then you find out, hey, by the way, you're going to be walking into the College Football Hall of Fame. Was that something you even thought about when you were playing? Like, you know, did you know there was a College Hall of Fame? Did you think, like, someday maybe I'll be in it? Or does this just come out of left field? It came from left field. Like, never never in a billion years like that I think that I'll be up for a Hall of Fame. Heck, I didn't even really know the Hall of Fame was like I mean when I was in high school I didn't even know what Division One college boys are uh, red shirt freshman or just being a freshman like I didn't know any of that stuff so it was all just a blur to me than actually going through the system you know even with all the success I had at the University of Oregon I didn't think you know Hall of Fame I know it's such a a huge honor honor to like even get there and I haven't even I haven't even got honored like. Or I got a nomination for an Oregon Hall of Fame, and I thought, like, I would get into that before I got into a college Hall of Fame if I'm just shooting it straight. I love that. Yeah, maybe they'll put you in the Oregon Hall of Fame now Now that you're in the, yeah, the college maybe. football Hall of Fame. Um, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's going to be a big deal. Like, And I see Reggie Bush going in, and I think, like, you know, I think in, in Oregon history, and you're getting some of that now. You probably get it some of it now. Like, you're not that old. But you get guys who will say, I remember watching LaMichael James, or I remember watching DeAnthony Thomas. Like, it was so long ago. And I'm like, hey, man, I covered those guys. I'm not – am I that old? Like, but, you know, how does that feel to you to be part of the, kind of that legacy, that history? Man, that is that's, – that's crazy, especially, like, being in the class with, like, Reggie Bush. Like, that's that's remarkable company. And, I mean, Tim Tebow, these guys are, like, college legends. So to even be in there, I'm still confused, like, at this very moment. It's still surreal. It hasn't really hit me. I know it's a huge thing, but to me, I'm still like, like, how did I get in there? You know, you see, like, D'Angelo Williams, those guys standing before me. So I'm thinking that it was, I mean, I might get in in, like, year 15. I don't know how it, all, it works. But for me to get in there so fast, like, I don't know. It's, it's remarkable, man. It's a cool thing. Let's go back to you as a kid because you started talking about, you know, maybe not knowing what a what it would be like to be have a college scholarship. And, you know, I, I think we don't know a lot about your upbringing. We don't know about you as a middle schooler or even much about high school. I know you had like, you know, as a sophomore, you had a, a nice season in high school and then junior you had to break out and then senior you had 2000 yards and in, in high school. But, you know, what was it like in middle school 
What were your dreams? Who were, who were the people in your circle that you think about now that you get into the Hall of Fame? Man, just my just my family um, would probably be the biggest thing. My my support group, mostly all women. So I was kind of babied a little bit. I'm actually going to sugarcoat that. Um, just the foundation that, you know, my grandmother laid and just hard work, everything is earned, nothing is given. Uh, I really try to live in the moment. Never, there's no moment bigger than the other and kind of being where your feet are. Like, I don't think about tomorrow or the next week. I'm just staying focused on today. So I think, you know, just carrying those things with me and just, just being the best version I can be of myself. You know, I'm only in competition with myself and that's kind of how I always carried myself in life. So, you know, once I got to college, like, I mean, everything was just a smooth transition for me because I had no real goals. Like, I wasn't supposed to be at the University of Oregon. I wasn't supposed to make it out of high school. So everything up until I got to the University of Oregon, like, in my in my eyes, like, I've already, like, beat the odds. So everything was just extra after that. I know you lost your grandmother when you were, like, 17 or 18 from cancer. Betty James, that, that little wooden house that you lived in in Melton Street in Texarkana, Texas. I mean, you're a long way from there, but I got to think she's up there somewhere, LaMichael, kind of smiling, going, yep, you made it. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, not just me, you know, we. You know, like, because when I make it, it's a lot of, you know, young African-American kids, like, in my neighborhood, you know, same upbringing, faced with the same, you know, things, uh, turmoil, you know, each and every day. And then, you know, I just hope that I can be the, the light uh, for them. And there's going to be adversity, you know, that just way life goes. But I just want to be a positive role model for people in my community back home and being from Texarkana, being from, a, you know, poverty background and just showing that, you know, you can do it, not just in sports, but, you know, you can make good grades. You can do it in business, no matter whatever fights you want to be in life, you know, you can actually achieve those goals if you just stay grounded and believe in yourself. Now I know that you're own, you own and operate some of the Killer Burger franchises, and every time I see one pop up, I think, you know what, there's LaMichael. Like, you know, LaMichael's, he's busy. How many franchises right now do you have uh, your hands on? Three, but I have, like, so many things in the works. Like, I'm constantly gravitate doing things trying to just you know just keep my mind and time busy you know it's kind of fun fun and stressful it's it's a little bit of both but uh i really enjoy it uh man just like even now like when i when i'm talking to you like early i'm like man i'm like knee deep and trying to get eugene's store up and running you know trying to make that thing as as smooth and seamless as possible you better at it now than maybe the first franchise that you opened. Do you, do you have it down and know the the things that you need to do to open one? Oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent, man. The first one was extremely stressful, but uh, you know, just like going into college, you know, you you really don't know what to expect. You just really just going into it, swinging and and hoping for the best. So uh, that's scary itself as alone, but you know. It's kind of a blessing with that too, because you just don't know what to expect. With with as time goes on, you know, you realize that that's a lot of expectations. So the stress is the stress is before you even get there, because you already know how much work it's going to take to get there. So um, it, it's like a blessing and a curse uh, with knowing what, what to do and on uh, not knowing what to do. Michael James is with us, former Oregon running back, uh, headed to the College Football Hall of Fame 
as an inductee. Um, who did you hear from right after it happens? Coaches, teammates, you know, text messages. I, I have to think it was a little nutty. Oh, man, my phone, I probably have 1,000 unread messages uh, in my phone right now. I have so much going on in that phone. It, like I said, you know, it, this this happening right now can have been the most best and the worst time it's happened. Because, I mean, I had no idea up until, you know, a couple of days ago. And also, you know, I'm in the last leg of building the restaurant, so I'm already dealing with the with that, and I'm getting all the calls and the emails. And then on top of that, I got a full-on college uh, football Hall of Fame, which is such an um, amazing honor. And, you know, just trying to balance it and, you know, live in the moment as well. Like, it, it hasn't even really hit me. It's still very surreal to me, but it is such an amazing honor, you know. And I speak on, you know, home, but mostly, you know, I should speak on Oregon as well. such a huge accomplishment for the Oregon community as well, you know, my support system here and where, you know, a lot of that blood and tears was on those fields at University of Oregon. But, you know, I spoke on the, the foundation to get me to where I am and just a, just a huge honor to put, you know, Oregon on the map, you know, just a little bit more and, and finally, you know, get someone else in that uh, Hall of Fame category. Now, when you were at Oregon, you guys played at such a high level. You challenged for a national championship. That you know, uh, Chip Kelly and you guys got to that game against Auburn in uh, January 2011. And you know, last night I'm watching TCU's on on the stage, and it looked like they blinked a little, like they looked around and went, you know, "Like this is the stage is too big." You, what was it like for you as a college kid to kind of play in those high stakes games? You go to Rose Bowls, you go to, you know, you're sort of elevating the program. You know, you you end up as a finalist for the Heisman and third in the voting. This was all new in some parts for Oregon, but it was certainly new for you and some of your teammates. Yeah. It it, it, it was definitely something, man. I, and I did watch the game, and Coach Kelly used to always say, don't blink, don't flinch, you know, and pressure bust pipes. So being in those situations, I know, I speak for myself, it never never bothered me, you know, it was just like another another game with longer timeouts, actually. But um, it's all about mindset, you know. Like, I speak very calm, I try to be cool, but, you know, when I'm on the field, like, it's me or you, you know, doggy-dog world out there, you kind of got to have a little, you kind of got to have a little some extra to you, you know, when, you, when you're in that world. I mean, if you watch Georgia play, you, you can tell clearly they got something extra in with them, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of the mindset you got to have, you know, and going out there and competing at the highest level, it's it's all 11, you know. You can't just have three guys on one page and the rest of them on the other. That's just not how it's going to work. And you, can't, you can't expect to be successful that way. I don't care if you got five stars, four stars. That stuff, that stuff goes out the window if you got three guys who think they're bigger than the team, you know. And I think college football is kind of trending in that, direction a little bit how do we keep how do we hold on to kind of what makes college football great but also i don't like standing in the way of kids you know benefiting financially and the game is getting big there's a lot of money attached to these games and it feels a little less innocent how do we hang on to college football or is it gone oh you know i think there needs to be it needs to be some sort of uh, like regulation because the the portal and and the money is just it's just crazy, man. Like whoever has the 
the deeper pockets and uh, the more marketing to get those deals done. It seems like that's where kids are going, and nothing, nothing really wrong with that because um, I think that you should benefit, you know, off your likeness. And colleges make millions of dollars off players, anyways. But somewhere and some, somewhere somehow, it needs to be something. Something definitely needs to needs to change. But I mean, if you watch the Georgia game, I'm sure they have plenty of NIL deals and yep. Bama, there are schools with NIL deals that are competing their butts off and they're still on the same page and so whatever formula those guys have, they need to tell the world or something. <laughs> There's a few guys that went to your high school, I think it's Liberty High School in Texarkana that played in the NFL or Major League Baseball. Are you in the Hall of Fame at your high school? I See, I didn't even make it in my high school. <laughs> we got to do something hey, about right? this. Yeah, get get them on the show. Yeah, we, we, that's what we need to do. We need to call them. We'd say, hey, do you know he's in the college football hall of fame? You might want to you might want to put him. So you're not in your high school hall of fame. You're not yet in your college, your own college hall of fame. But you're in the college football hall of fame. I'll, I'll take it if I were you. This is like the Benjamin Button effect right now. <laughs> we're going backwards. I started I started backwards, which you know it's cool. You know, I'll, I'll take it. Give me something to look forward to. I love it, man. And, and look, I'm proud of you. I think a lot of people who have watched you grow, you know, we watched you from a freshman, you know, all the way through your college career and then into the NFL. And I know it didn't go the way that you wanted it to go, but you have been uh, authentic and candid and you've talked about it. And uh, LaMichael, I just think, you know, you're a real person and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the authenticity. And I know there's a lot of people like Gary Campbell your former coach who is insanely proud of you and, and feels like, hey, this is uh, such a victory. Oh, for sure, man. It is definitely a victory. <laughs> I talked to Coach Cam. I talked to Coach Landing called me. I talked mm -hmm. to Coach Kelly. Like, they've all reached out. All the coaches have reached out. That's been a part of this journey because it's not just me. It's everyone. The linemen, shoot, the walk-ons, the equipment staff. Like, everyone's been a part of this journey. It's been, been remarkable, man. And I'm happy and I'm proud and you know, I'm just glad that we can all be one and celebrate it as one. You know, it's not just, just it's not just me. Because without a lot of those people, then there would be no me. Well, Michael James, keep up the fight, man. Good luck with the restaurant opening in Eugene. Killer Burger getting ready to open in Eugene. When will it officially be open? January 23rd. There you go. For the Eugene audience listening on Fox Sports Eugene, get a College Football Hall of Fame Killer Burger on January the 23rd. And uh, LaMichael James, we wish you the best. And, uh, you know, I guess the induction ceremony is in Vegas in December, but you get a lot of time to appreciate this. So I uh, appreciate you jumping on with us and uh, letting us uh, give you a fist bump. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. There he is, LaMichael James. Love that interview. And it's so interesting. College Football Hall of Fame, not yet in the University of Oregon Hall of Fame. And I know people at Oregon will go, hey, we have a process, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a number of people they need to get to and consider as they go down that list. And then his high school, come on, Liberty High School in Texarkana, Texas. Guys in the College Football Hall of Fame. He had 2,000 rushing yards his senior year of high school. Congratulations to LaMichael James. Uh, fun talking with him. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
This uh, music always reminds me of like uh, I used to as a kid listen to Art Bell on late night radio. He was talking about UFOs and conspiracy theories. I don't know why. It's kind of mysterious. Anna's popped into the studio. 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 How are you? I used to listen to Art Bell too. You did? Yes. We just found that out right now. We both listened to Art Bell. Uh, I had that um, stupid GE clock radio that mm-hmm. everyone seemed to have in their home, and I would tuck it under my pillow. I don't know why. I was such a weird kid, and apparently you were too. We were up late at night listening to him talking about chemtrails and aliens. Yeah. Wow. He, he had a show called Coast to Coast AM. Yeah. It was syndicated all over the United States and Canada, and... Uh, I didn't realize that Art Bell died. He died like four years ago. Did you know that? Uh, I mean, I kind of felt like he wasn't young when or he did was hosting he? this Or did show. he die? <laughs> Maybe he's just on another planet or dimension. Yeah. Um, uh, but why did, why did that speak to you? I don't know. I was fascinated by the callers that would call in from all across the country. I think that was, for me, you know, growing up in little Portland, Oregon, nobody really knew mm-hmm. where Portland was when I was growing up. So I was just fascinated listening to people call in from, you know, everywhere. And then there was something about the way he talked. It was very paced, a lot of pauses, a lot of pregnant pauses. And just what he would talk about was so interesting. I don't know. I was up way past my bedtime because it was late at night when he would have that show, right? Yeah, he, it was Yeah, it was really late. So I was only tuning into Art Bell after I had listened to, like, the Giants play uh, a night game. And the game was over uh-huh. at, like, 9.30 or 10, and then Art Bell was late. And I would kind of put it on and fall asleep to it, which yeah. is probably horrible because it was about UFOs and <laughs> – weird paranormal things that were going on. I just found it kind of interesting. Yes. Uh, I just found something online. Um, You know, he tried to retire. Uh Uh-huh. He tried to retire a couple times. Yeah. And then ended up coming back, coming back. And then in December of 2015, so he dies in 2018, but in December of 2015, he posts a weird message on Facebook. Okay. He cited safety concerns, and apparently armed trespassers were coming onto his property. Oh, they lived kind of rural, okay, as you would expect. Yeah, and I guess people were coming onto his property and uh, firing their guns off, mm. and you know, like trying to silence him. Get to Art <laughs> Bell, like being Art Bell. Yeah, apparently was not as cool as it sounded. Huh? You know what I mean? Yeah. This is like sports fans coming up to me in the gym. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is it's, it though? Yeah. How so? People, you know, it's the same. Like they're not holding guns, but they're coming up. You know. <laughs> They want to chit chat. I can deal with that. I can deal that. I can do that. Yes. But Art Bell, he's out, you know, in the middle of the night, some guy coming onto his property with a sawed off shotgun, wanted to tell him about the uh, paranormal activity that's happening Uh, over by at his house. Well, that probably, I mean, the content of his show probably invited that kind of intrusion into his life, right? So let's not talk about aliens on the show. Okay, but is there a conspiracy theory that you have, like... Oh, I don't think aliens are a conspiracy theory. I think it's just highly probable that there's, you know, life beyond humans somewhere in the universe. So you believe you? that there are aliens? There has to be. I okay. mean, when you look at the magnitude of the universe and how many planets there are and, you know, yes, of course. Don't you? How can, that's the thing is, how can somebody definitively say 
there's no other life, you know, somewhere. Uh, Stephen, is there life somewhere <laughs> it's else? It's going to be Stephen. I, gonna be like, uh, I don't think so. I don't think I'm so. actually with Ann on this one. Uh, <laughs> the, statistically, there has to be some type of life form outside of us yeah. humans. You, Anna, and Mike Leach. Listen to the Mike Leach on this show in 2012. Do I think they're little green men with uh, four fingers? I suspect not. Um, but what I what I think is, um, to me, it seems like it's way too much of an aberration that out of all of existence and everything, that we're the only inhabited planet. I find that to be a strab. I says, well, <laughs> it's impossible. You know, folks that will say it's impossible for there to be life on any other planet. Well, isn't the reverse kind of true? Um, it would the reverse kind of be true that would uh, it's it, isn't it a little more unlikely that we're the only planet that has life? You guys are like soul Symbiotic. siblings, yeah. right there. <laughs> I like yeah. that Mike Leach that he lives on through this show. Oh, we're going to keep we're that. going to keep Mike Leach alive uh, <laughs> in one form or fashion. Yes. Uh Peter Sampson, you've been awfully quiet while we're talking conspiracy theories. It's yeah. Not a conspiracy theory. I want to know what cons- we're at, let's pretend we're at a dinner party. This isn't the first question that's being thrown out. You've had you got a couple cocktails in you, Peter. Uh hey, Peter, what conspiracy theory do you believe in? Well, first of all, who says I don't have a couple cocktails in me right now? <laughs> Uh, that being said, uh, it's a pretty innocuous one, but I 100% uh, believe that Coca-Cola put out new Coke, uh, knowing that everyone would be turned off by it, and then they can bring back Coke Classic, but magically they've repli- replaced the sugar with the much cheaper to produce high fructose corn syrup. Everyone's happy instead of ticked off that it does taste slightly different. There you go. Hmm. It's a business move. Yeah. We were talking about something like that today. I can't remember what the subject was, whether or not it was good marketing or bad marketing. And they have to Oh, it was the uh, it was the uh, DraftKings. Oh, brilliant. Uh, you guys may have heard of this that there, you know, the the sports books in Vegas who offered an over under win total number on the Cincinnati Bengals season. It was nine and a half wins was the over under. People who took the over were delighted when the Bengals won game number 10 to go over. And, you know, they were like, hey, I won. I just need to wait till the end of the season to cash out. Well, unfortunately, the Monday night game that got canceled between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals meant that the Bengals were not playing 17 games like everyone else. And if they check their ticket carefully, they know that the win totals are based on 17-game seasons. So the sports books in Vegas are voiding all of those bets, saying... We're just giving you your money back. You actually didn't win the bet. Uh, they're paying, you know, they're giving the money back on people who lost. They're giving the money back on people who won. Jay Cornegay, who's been on this show, uh, said that, you know, they have to follow the rules. They are subject to gaming laws and rules. They can't break those rules. Meanwhile, though, DraftKings has come out and said, hey, we'll pay you on that bet. And guess what? If you had the Baltimore Ravens to win that division – or the Bengals to win that division, we're going to pay both as winners, even though the Bengals technically won the division the Ravens didn't. Guys, 
Great PR, great PR move from DraftKings, yes? Yeah, oh, that's fantastic PR. I mean, that's a bad look. I understand why they're doing it or even why they maybe have to do it, but it's one thing if if you know you had the under and you're trying to, oh, no, 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 void it, void it, void it, you know, so you're not having to pay, but I mean, that's nonsense. It wasn't like they, you know, barely squeaked over the, the didn't they win 12 games? Yeah, I think they, I can't remember if it was 11 or 12. I, I think it was, yeah, I think they won their last eight in a row, so I mean, good on DraftKings. It's a brilliant opportunity to swoop in, and you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck. You know, you spend a few thousand dollars pushing that out to people, and I I have a feeling a lot of people are going to go ahead and switch their accounts. Yeah, it's great PR by DraftKings, but I do disagree with it. I, I think you should follow the rules in this situation. I it, This is one of those things where it is clearly stated, like, certain parameters have to be met in order to get bets voided or cashed back. And I think it's on people that know what the actual, like, house rules are. So I actually... Uh, I kind of disagree with Peter in that sense, but it's a great move by DraftKings because it's going to make all those people happy. And like you said, Peter, people are going to join that or continue betting with them because they're giving out uh, free money. Yeah, and the Bills are in the same position. They went over as well. Their total was 11.5. Cincinnati won 12 games. So their their win total was 9.5. Both only played 16 games. Both went over. Sportsbooks in Vegas are saying we're subject to the Nevada gaming laws. We have to follow the rules. And by the way, they're pointing out they don't make money on this because they have to refund the losers too. So they're just saying we have to follow the rules. We're not allowed to do this. Meanwhile, uh, DraftKings is going, ah, we're going to pay everybody. Because you know what DraftKings knows? DraftKings knows that you're going to continue to wager, and they're making customers out of you. This is great marketing for them. Well, and the brilliant thing on their part is that they don't, if the same kind of situation ever arose, they don't necessarily have to do it again. They just get to have the good credit for being the good guy in this situation to be like, oh, come on over to us. We'll take care of you. And that's exactly but... why I don't like it, Anna, because now they hold that over you, and they could basically make the rules as they go, right? Like, So there could be something that goes in your favor, and they'll change the rules right at the end and say, nope, that's not what we said, and then they take your money. So I, I think there should just be one form of rules and that's why I do like that Vegas follows it. Like during the COVID year in the NBA, like all those bets got voided as well, the over and unders. Like I had, or my brother had a winner and he, you know, he goes to cash it, thought he was going to get like, you know, 100 bucks and came back as like, you know, 20 bucks because they voided the bet because they didn't play enough games. Who knew Steven was a rule follower? <laughs> we find that out on today's show. A crazy fan freaked out on TikTok. Uh, we'll play the rant coming up. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Fan is short for fanatic. We know that. We've had people talk to us about that. Anytime I say, oh, some fan lost their mind, somebody will point out, you know, fan is short for fanatic. Uh, a fan who is a fan of the SEC is this a Mississippi State fan? If if I'm uh, yeah, is it Mississippi Ole Miss State. or Mississippi State? Mississippi State. Okay, is a Mississippi State fan uh, on TikTok who was upset about the college football playoff selection committee. Um, I love fan rants. I don't know that I feel well. Let me, I'm just gonna play it. Here's the fan. The college football playoff committee. Congratulations, you need to pat yourself on the back because you have screwed every college football fan in this country tonight. That's what you have done. You have done that. Look at this right here, 45 to 7. Okay? Look at this. They just 
And luckily he dropped the ball. What 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 is this? What is this? What have you given us? This is a national championship game. That's what this is. It is 45 to 7. You thought TCU belonged in this game? What was the qualifications, College Football Playoff Committee? What was their qualifications? Getting beat by Kansas State. That qualifies you for this game, the biggest game of the year. The game that every college football fan, no matter what team they pull for, looks forward to. And this is the garbage that you gave us. Pathetic. You are pathetic. This is a disaster. This is a barn fire. And every one of you, not one of you deserves to be on that committee if this is what you think college football is supposed to look like. You owe us all an apology. Every one of you that's on that committee that pulled some crap like this deserves us all an apology. And I want it. This better not ever happen again. This committee needs to be redone, got done away with, whatever you want to call it. Crazy fan, Mississippi State fan. The SEC fans are a little bit different in that way. I got to know what this guy does for work. Do we know anything about this human being? Youth this pastor. Is a library? He's a youth pastor, librarian. I, I honestly tried to look it up. I tried to figure it out. I couldn't find any information on this guy. His Facebook page is called Randy the Plumber. Okay. That's about <laughs> the right. plumber. Plumbers everywhere now going, yeah. no, 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 no. If, you, not... if you want to email him, his email is right there on his Facebook page, randytheplumber24 at gmail.com. <laughs> Do you think he's going to get an apology from the committee? That's the question. <laughs> he's not getting an apology. Here's the things that stood out to me. A, I love the guy's passion. I love that he's fired up and that he's passionate about this. He, he obviously cares. Yeah. Okay. Secondarily, he used the phrase barn fire. As a disaster, like, there's there's very few parts of the country where people would go, this is a disaster. It's a barn fire. <laughs> Did he say bonfire or barn fire? I think he said barn fire. I heard barn. <laughs> I heard barn. I love that part of it. It, it also reminds What do we say in the Northwest area for that? Uh, it it was a... It was a landslide. I don't know. <laughs> dumpster What's fire. What's the biggest dumpster, disaster? Yeah. Dumpster. It was a dumpster, dumpster. fire. Yeah. It's a barn. It's a barn fire. But uh, you know, crazy rants by fans. You know, we obviously uh, have seen this before. Here's a crazy Bama fan calling into Paul Feinbaum's show. Hey, cow turd! You you are just. I don't even have a name for you anymore, except cow turd. How dare you say that about Alabama? They lose the game. They lose the game, and they lost it to a good team. The team beat Alabama. But how can you say, after the dynasty took all these years, all these decades, one game is going to mean that 
Saban's dynasty is over. You're out of your freaking mind, cowturd. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. And how dare you call me out? You call me out, you're going to get me back. You hear me, you punk? How dare you? I don't understand the way you act towards... It's, it's Bama. That's what it is. It's Bama. You don't hate any team in this nation except for Bama. And you know why? Because they're better than what you've got. Nick Saban is a better man than you are. You could never coach because you don't have a bit of coaching in your body. You have nothing but to sit there and insult and damn and, and, and just carry on about everybody that's doing something different than you. You're jealous. That's the bottom line. You're jealous. And Bama's coming back. Bama has not lost. The dynasty is not over. Do you hear me, Captain? Bama's dynasty has just begun. Kiss my butt. Roll Tide. We don't get calls like that in the Pac-12 footprint. You know, I'm a little jealous yeah. of the SEC fan in Mississippi State and Bama. You know, even down in the ACC, we get some of that stuff. Why Why are we not getting those kind of rant calls? I'm more impressed that she didn't curse, is the thing. Like, <laughs> there were so many opportunities to curse, and she didn't. She censored herself. Love it. <laughs> you don't consider turn a curse word. Do no. you? Maybe in my, maybe the kids. <laughs> do, you, do you guys view that as a badge of honor? The people in the SEC footprint care more? And, and even down in, in the Miami footprint uh wqam radio host uh in miami went on a rant but do you feel that as a badge of honor that like the fans down there they're unhinged and do you see that as a positive no they care no that's insane i I, in a lot of ways i i am a sports fan for a living and i that's too much for me man (laughs) i get a little concerned when somebody is that ramped up i don't know i just it makes me uncomfortable. It makes like I get a tightness in my chest, and I'm just I start to like hope and pray that he's not gonna stroke out uh, yeah. mid rant. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I see their I see their living quarters <laughs> uh-huh. like as they're ranting. Yeah, I can see where they live. Uh-huh. I can see the lazy boy chair they sit in when they watch the games. <laughs> I can see the remote control. I can see the tray they have next to the table. Maybe there's an ashtray on it. And there's some cigarette butts in it. And I can see that what I so what I am gathering is there isn't a lot else going on in their life. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't see kids. I don't see a family. I see a it's an individual living somewhere. But here's Dan Celio uh, on WQAM in Miami when Miami football, this is pre-Mario Cristobal, wasn't playing well. Mother, I'm telling you, if I see another defensive tackle on the University of Miami sitting around looking for girls in the stands and not running to the football and putting a hat on someone's ass, you are going to be held accountable. I'm going to have an aneurysm in here. I am going to have an aneurysm the next time I see somebody not hit somebody. Son of a bitches, hit somebody. Hit somebody. Dude, when you got a quarterback standing there, when he does a quarterback sneak, do you know what I want someone to do? Pull a knife on him and stick him. Gouge his eyes. Hit him in the knees. Kick him in the balls. Do something. Show me you care. Jesus Christ Almighty. If I see another kid wearing a University of Miami helmet with the U on it, and you allow a quarterback to go through the line of scrimmage, and you don't put a hat on him, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a time out here because I need to, I need to cool out here because, look, I, I am not going to put up with this. You know what? There's so many people that keep telling me about freaking talent we have on that team. Give me a break. Stop it. Stop it. Talent. Uh, I like that one. Yeah. Because this is a professional. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's fired up. He obviously has a connection to the University of Miami. But when he says you got, he wants someone to pull a knife out. Yeah. And gouge someone's eyes out. Mm-hmm. A yeah. quarterback sneak. Yeah. No. Commit crimes. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> That's what makes the Pac-12, I think, a little different. But guys, is it a problem that the fans in the Pac-12 aren't as passionate? It is a pro- is it a problem? Is there a byproduct here? Does it mean that the football is not as important? Does it mean that the fans aren't as rabid? That they're not going to throw a Molotov cocktail through the window of Directv when the games aren't shown, or the Pac-12 Network when they put on a, you know, a 7:30 kickoff on a Saturday mm-hmm. night? Yeah. Like, you know, it is. I would argue there, that it's a good thing. But is there a correlation between <laughs> the rabid? Yeah. ranting fans, yeah. unhinged mm-hmm. SEC fans, and even the ACC in that case, and maybe the success of those conferences? Mm. I agree with Anna that I I think it's good that fans aren't throwing like mustard bottles at Lane Kiffin like they did over at Tennessee. <laughs> but at the same time, I do agree with you, John. Like I think nationally's perception is because the fans care so much that maybe the football is a little bit better and the Pac-12 just you know is more soft. Uh, we don't care out here on the West Coast. I do think there's a correlation to it. But I also am glad that uh, the fans aren't that crazy like that. I want to go to the phones. James is in Eugene. The phone number is 503-417-7575. James, what do you think? I think dudes are psychotic and need to get a life. Um, <laughs> and you can say that's like a Northwest Pac-12 thing. But, I mean, honestly, if, if you wage that much on where you're, like, threatening to gouge, like, college kids' eyes out, then you kind of are – you stepped over the passion of, fandom and psychotic you know you're psychotic <laughs> yeah so yeah i i, I kind of wondered if the guy got fired and i said no he didn't get fired he didn't get reprimanded for that <laughs> yeah i i don't completely get it and you know the whole thing is like you're listening to that one about uh you're talking about recruiting right he was like ranting about recruiting top recruit well that's the thing though is like uh was it roy that called in earlier he's like top in recruiting next well i mean you look at some of the teams that have top in recruiting every year miami Texas, uh, Florida State. There's lots of teams out there that have top ten recruiting that don't amount to anything. So recruiting is not necessarily all of it. It's culture and coaching. So you can have, I think if you look at the top ten recruiting class for this year, I'm pretty sure Miami and Texas are on that. And what have they done in the last 10, 15, 20 years? Nothing. So it's not always recruiting. I think it's culture, which apparently, being a psycho and wanting to gouge, you know, college kids' eyes out with a knife because they ran the wrong play, that might be it. But that's not the house I want to live in. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, look, uh, the twenty-four-seven uh, sports recruiting rankings for the twenty-twenty-three class: it's Alabama one, Georgia two, Texas three, Miami four, Oklahoma five. Then it's Ohio State, LSU, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Clemson, Florida, Oregon, Texas A&M, Penn State, USC. So, um, you know, yeah, there's some teams in there that are successful. There's some teams that aren't. 
I always, you know, when I was reporting initially about the Pac-12 conference and Larry Scott, and remember they couldn't get the deal done with DirecTV, and the Pac-12 was telling fans, call DirecTV. <laughs> you know, yeah. direct your ire to DirecTV. Like, like you did in the TV world, Anna. Remember when occasionally DirecTV would be at an impasse with one of the networks? Yeah, it was like Dish TV, yeah. and then like they wouldn't show the station yeah. for a while. There would be a blackout. Because the station wasn't paying the carriage fees, Yeah, and DirecTV was going, fine, if you're not going to do that, we're just going to put a thing on the screen saying, call the station, put the station's phone number. Yeah. And then you guys were going, no, call, direct, call Dish <laughs> or whoever. It's terrible. You know, everybody's trying to create all this work. I had somebody tell me. If this happened in the SEC, if the SEC network was not available on DirecTV, yeah. it'd be like two days yeah. before the SEC fans were outside the DirecTV headquarters <laughs> calling for the heads of the executives, and that very quickly the SEC network would get on there. So I do think there is some correlation with passion. Of course it re results in ratings. It re results in larger crowd sizes at the stadium. Uh, it results in a bigger tailgate. But... A lot of times I have wondered about kind of the SEC culture mm -hmm. and said, you know, is it just generational or is there less going on there? Um, I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think that you have decades and decades of, you know, fandom that go back generations. And so it's very much a part of like family culture and just their identity and who they are. I think here on the West Coast primarily, and you know, including I suppose like Arizona and whatnot, which is a lot made up of people who've moved over from California. Um, you know, it's just, it's more transient. It's a more transient population. And I don't think that college football definitely is as embedded in who we are. It's kind of like something we enjoy, something we do on weekends. And I don't know, maybe people can tell me if I'm wrong about that, but that's just kind of my feeling of growing up here. One of the bigger media markets in the country is, you know, the Bay Area media market, the yeah. San Francisco Bay Area media market. I believe it's market five. Yeah. Okay, so after you get done with New York, L.A., and Chicago, and Dallas, you look at the Bay Area, mm -hmm. okay? It always surprised me that there weren't, like the fans in the Bay Area weren't as rabid as in other places. I thought, this is a huge population base. Yeah. But you're right. It's a transient area. You got a lot of people who didn't grow up there, didn't grow up going to the games, don't have family traditions, don't have tickets, season tickets to Stanford or Cal that have been in the family for five generations. Right. And you didn't grow up going and standing under the eucalyptus trees uh, at Stanford Stadium in the parking lot, playing catch or playing cornhole and wearing a bow tie. And it wasn't part of the culture yeah. of the Bay Area. It isn't. It still isn't. Right. And nobody goes. Yeah. I think it's getting there with University of Oregon and Oregon State and Huskies and some of the success they've seen, but there's still a ways to go. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. NFL Wild Card Weekend ahead. Uh, I'll dive deep on it in the happy hour, the 5 o'clock hour coming up. Anna and I will do the 5 at 5, top of the hour as well. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about fan passion and maybe how it does and doesn't play into expectations. I, you know, I said it on yesterday's show. I went on this mini rant about how Oregon State fans deserve some credit because they wouldn't lower the bar for Oregon State. And that was good. You know, they, 
they basically were like, we're not okay with the West Side of Research Stadium looking like 1950. We're not okay with a program that was like, oh, it's the little engine that could. It's cute. If, it, if they win six games a year, it's cool. You know, the expectations at Oregon State have risen a little bit. And the expectations at Oregon have risen. Like, people were understandably upset when Oregon only won nine games in the regular season. And they were, people were very disappointed with that season for Oregon. So I think some of that is good, as long as you aren't talking about gouging out the eyes of the quarterback on a quarterback sneak. <laughs> Yeah, there's the threshold, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of that. You know, SEC fans will probably say we're ridiculous for saying this, but I think some of that generational um, culture and fandom is being built right now. Like, literally, we're living it. How many years behind are we, though? Oh, about 50. Yeah, it feels like we're at least one generation behind. At least. Maybe two. Yeah. All right, so leave it here. The happy hour's coming up. We'll have the five at five. It'll be good. Uh, Anna is already, she's stretched out for the five at five. We will do it here coming up. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We got the 5 at 5 coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about Stetson Bennett as a uh, potential NFL player. Where does he fit? Anna's got some stories she's working on. We will dive deep as well on... The NFL Wild Card Weekend. It's going to be a NFL Palooza going on Saturday, Sunday, Monday as the NFL teams conduct a real playoff. Let's can we put put it to rest this four-team tournament that the College Football Playoff Selection Committee gives to us. I'm not going to go on a crazy fan freakout rant like the uh, fan at Mississippi State, but this four-team thing, it's. It's not a real playoff. We know that because we're watching the NFL give us a real playoff this weekend. It's a four-team invitational. Georgia deserved to be there. Ohio State looked like they deserved to be there. Now, Michigan won the Big Ten. They deserved to be there. TCU deserved to be there. But it's an invitational tournament. It's not a playoff. Let's get that straight. They were invited. They were invited like the Phil Knight invitational teams were invited to Portland. They were, you know, it wasn't, hey, you don't win your conference, you get in. TCU didn't win their conference. Um, you know, Ohio State didn't win their conference. Let's call it what it is. It's an invitational tournament. And on that note, here are the five biggest, baddest stories going on in sports. The Five at Five. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Stetson Bennett and Georgia boat raced. Boat raced TCU in last night's national championship game. It sounded a little bit like this. Keeper Bennett gets a block. Georgia draws first blood. The play action. Bennett looks down the middle. Bukaki's wide open. Touchdown, dogs. 11th play of the drive. Bennett keeping all the way and just... Sauntering into the end zone, his second rushing touchdown, and Georgia throwing haymakers and building a big lead now. Stetson Bennett in Georgia, 65, TCU 7. Stetson Bennett's 25. He's older than Justin Herbert. He's older than Jalen Hurts, who will play in NFL playoff games this weekend. 
A lot is being made of his age and the experience factor. Kirby Smart said there won't be another Stetson Bennett, but he had another reason for saying so. I mean, his story is pretty cool. Um, we'll always sell Georgia, and I don't think Stetson would be, be happy if I just sold him. He would say this whole team was really special. Sell the team, coach, because the team is bigger than any individual. And uh, what he accomplished, what he overcame, it's just incredible. In today's day and age of recruiting, you don't miss anybody, right? You don't miss guys. I mean, they comb the country. They're unbelievable. They don't miss anybody. And they missed him. We missed him. We did it wrong. And all he did was overcome all of it. What a great story. I just don't think it's going to happen very often anymore. I think it'll still happen. I think he's probably speaking in general terms. There are players that get missed. But Stetson Bennett and George, it's a good story. Anna, number two, go. Really into the business side of things today. I don't know why. I don't know if this is the biggest, baddest story in sports, but it's interesting to me. Athletes from all the major American sports are getting into the farming business. So Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, Celtics forward Blake Griffin, among others, have purchased a 104-acre Iowa farm for around $5 million. This is a corn and soy farm in Iowa. They will be leasing the land to farmers, asking for a single-digit annual return. The uh, purchase of this farm will not be the last one for this group of athletes. This is what caught my eye. Four more farm purchases are on the horizon, including a watermelon farm here in Oregon. Maybe next on the list. What do they know that we don't What do you think is happening there? Is it just they're looking for new areas to invest in and... This is the latest untapped thing, hey. Or do you think there's a little bit of a uh, uh, a Yellowstone factor going on here, and players going, "Yeah, I want to be a farmer." I don't think any of them are actually going to be farming. Like they're not going to be driving a tractor. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> they're just trying to make their money grow, and apparently, corn and soy is uh, is at the top of the list for them. They're going to plant their money in the fields and let it go. There you go. I, I don't I don't mind this. Uh, this story that I'm giving at number three is a little bit Anna-flavored. Mm. This is a story I expected you to find, but instead I found it. Aaron Rodgers has a new girlfriend. Already? He does. Mallory Edens is uh, a model and the daughter of Milwaukee Bucks part owner Wes Edens. Uh, Mallory and uh, Aaron Rodgers apparently uh, hanging out, but... I only bring this up because, do you guys know who Wes Edens is? Do you know the connection to the state of Oregon? I just know the daughter. Maybe that's just because I'm a man, but I know who the daughter is. Wait, wait, tell us about the daughter. What do you know about the daughter? Uh, she's a good-looking younger lady that is attractive. That's what <laughs> I know. said the same thing with different words. <laughs> so she's 26, and Aaron Rodgers is 39. Okay, but Wes Edens, her dad, yeah, is an Oregon State graduate. He's the co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. He is a uh, uh, apparently apparently uh, made his money in uh, at Lehman Brothers, where he was a partner and a managing director, and uh, is an investment guy. But he's become a billionaire. Oregon State knows exactly who he is. But he's heavily invested in both the Milwaukee Bucks and an English Premier Club team. I believe it's Aston Villa. Uh, I, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but 
He is the primary owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. And here is Aaron Rodgers hanging out with Mallory Edens. Okay. How would you describe her, Anna? You're looking at her photo well, right now. Well, just as Stephen described her. She's a smoke show or no? You should, yeah, I mean, you know, she's attractive. What did he say? Attractive young I woman? Think, I think Stephen said smoke show. That's what I heard. <laughs> Number There's, four. I wanted to be careful just in case the wife was listening. <laughs> yeah. Number four. Anna, go. Oh, it's my turn? Yeah. Okay, I'm still on the business beat. Uh, Patrick Mahomes adds another major sports team to his ownership portfolio. He's joining the ownership group of the Kansas City Current, making him the first NFL player to have equity in an NWSL franchise. He'll be joining his wife as part of the ownership team. This is very interesting. So, so he's investing in soccer, women's soccer. So he's getting into the soccer game. Yes. LeBron, is it LeBron that's getting into pickleball? Or yes. Who's getting into pickleball? LeBron and uh, who else is on that ownership team? I can't remember. Oh, it's really interesting. It, it makes me think about, remember in the summer that Paolo Bancaro was at the uh, the motorsports yeah. event, that yeah. Formula, whatever, that Formula mm -hmm. One race or whatever. Some kind of race car and, event, yeah. And the guy mistook him. For Patrick, for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. What What was that race? Do you guys remember what that was? I think it was Formula One. Grand Prix? I don't know. It was. It might have been a Grand Prix or something. But the uh, the poor guy. No, it was a horse race, wasn't it? No. Was it the Was it a horse race? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was. I'm yeah. getting I'm getting no help. This here. is going well. Are you guys Are you guys searching <laughs> frantically or? Yeah, a little bit. We we made eye contact, well, yeah. and both of us just kind of shrugged at the same time. I, I remember I, I, that I, I happened, could... but that's what, we, that's what I, me and Peter do. We look at each other. We just yeah, yeah I, I know. know. Yeah, I'm gonna. Fill it was time. a Formula One. It was, it a was Formula, Formula One. One. Okay. So I, I'm gonna find this damn thing because yeah. I thought that was really funny. The guy was remember he was at the Formula One race. Yes. And he mistook it. Mm -hmm. He mistook uh, Mahomes for Bancaro. Martin Brundle bungled the interview. Search Martin Brundle, Bungle's interview. Meantime, it's Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Tom Brady who have invested into Major Pickleball League, MPL. These guys are diversifying their portfolios. Yeah. They're yeah. buying farms. Non-traditional investments. They're buying, you know, works of art. Do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about with this Formula One reporter or not? I do remember this now, yeah. Yeah, it, was Mar it was Martin Brundle who bungled the interview. And I remember now I, that it was on Twitter where, uh, you know, he, he did this big interview and he walks up to Ben Caro and says, Patrick Mahomes or whatever, and it's not Mahomes. Yeah, and you know? there's a significant okay. height difference. Am I the only one? Them. Am I the only one that found that interesting, apparently? No, I was amused by that. Okay, so. So there's two of us. Two of us. One, two. Three. Am I on five now? <laughs> yeah. You've gone twice? Yeah. Okay. The fifth thing in our five at five. <laughs> this is my biggest challenge of the whole show yeah. every day. Let's talk Carlos Correa and what the is going on. Carlos Correa agreed to a 13-year, $350 million contract with the Giants about a month ago. The Giants then raised some concerns about his surgically repaired right leg. And his agent, Scott Barros, blew the deal up and 
pivoted very quickly to the Mets, who offered him 12 years and $315 million. Apparently, the Mets flagged his physical as well. If you're a baseball fan, you've been all over this. But that deal fell apart as well, leading Correa back to Minnesota, where he has played before. Apparently, according to Jeff Passan, friend of this show, Carlos Correa and the Twins are finalizing a six-year, $200 million deal, salvaging the deal that broke down after the deal that broke down. Here's Passan. We got to this point because the San Francisco Giants and New York Mets were spooked by Carlos Correa's lower right leg in the ankle area, and the notion that they were going to commit a decade-plus to him with uncertainty about his ability to stay healthy over the course of the duration of that contract just proved too much. In Minnesota, where Carlos Correa, remember, played last year, where he starred last year, where he put up five-plus wins above replacement and was beloved in the clubhouse, saw an opportunity. The Twins were willing to go 10 years and $285 million before the injuries manifested themselves and before the Giants were out and the Mets were out. And now, with a vesting option potentially on top of that six years, and $200 million. The contract could wind up being 10 years and $270 million. I got to know what's in his surgically repaired leg that is spooking the team so much. These Major League Baseball teams, they don't care about PEDs. They don't care about, like, they're throwing money around left and right. But with Carlos Correa, is there a buzzer in there that was signaling pitches to him? Like, I don't, <laughs> what is going on? You know, it. As a Giants fan, I had mixed feelings when they offered him that deal because I thought, gosh, that's a lot of money, and they didn't get Aaron Judge. It was kind of a face-saving move. And then I thought, well, maybe they had buyer's remorse, and they just backed out of the deal. But now the Mets had a problem with it. Now he's apparently going back to the Twins, who are more familiar than anybody with his medical history. So Carlos Correa looks like he's just going back to the Twins. And, oh, by the way, about $115 million lighter in salary. Only a six-year deal, $200 million, versus uh, a 13-year deal at $315 million. That is the five at five. We're going to take a deep dive on UFOs and aliens, Anna? No. We're going to go into the wild card weekend of the NFL. What I'm really looking forward to, and does Justin Herbert have a puncher's chance in these playoffs? We'll talk about it coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, you got Peter Sampson in the Pulse, uh, top of the hour here in Portland. Peter, I know you're warming up for your show. Uh, any idea where you're going? Uh, yeah, it's uh, we're gonna talk some college basketball. Gonna have a uh, Beavers guard Jordan Pope on in the show and uh, get nice. to know him, the freshman guard. He's uh, definitely one of the the better players. I know the Beavers have had a mixed season, but I'm like you, John. I don't really pay attention to college uh, hoops at the beginning, but it's it's time to shift focus. Yeah, I'm at that point too. Uh, and in fact, uh, I am uh, making my way down to the to the uh, UCLA-Arizona game that will take place in Tucson here in a couple weekends because I just want to see those two teams play in the early part of the season. But, uh, you, know, or I, you know, I'm really interested in Oregon State because last year they were so bad. This year they're more fun. But this conference in general is wild. Washington State beats Arizona. Oregon beats Utah. Colorado boat races Oregon. 
it, everybody's all over the place. Yeah, it's it isn't really uh, sort of establishing a clear picture to me yet. You know, uh, you have your obvious, you know, Arizona, UCLA, they're good, but constant upsets. I wonder what it's going to look like when we get a little bit deeper in the season. It might remind us of some of the football years we've seen in the Pac-12, where everyone just sort of beats up on each other. Yeah, I look at uh, the Pac-12 in general. Um, obviously, UCLA is looking the best or looking better than anybody else when it comes to uh, right now because of the loss that Arizona had to uh, to Washington State the other night. It's not, not a good loss, but I, I'm excited about the Pac-12 tournament, too, in Las Vegas. Uh, it's taken place, I believe it is March 7th through the 11th or so, or 8th through the 12th, right in there in Vegas. The women's tournament will happen the previous weekend. Uh, I'll be covering both of those tournaments and uh, and bringing you all that stuff as it happens. But uh, Peter Sampson on the Pulse coming up tonight. We'll take a glimpse into Oregon State basketball and into the Pac-12 in general. Uh, can't wait for that. Guys, let's pivot to uh, the NFL wildcard weekend. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens this weekend. And uh, also interested in the quarterbacks who are playing this weekend. Um, you got some Saturday games. You got some Sunday games, and we have a Monday game. But let's start with the Seahawks in San Francisco on Saturday. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, a Seahawks team. Are the Seahawks just happy to be in the playoffs, or are they a threat at all to San Francisco in this game, guys? I mean, crazier things have happened, but not that many. I think they're happy to be there. They're not going to say that. They're going to get up for this game. I just don't think they have enough talent to hang with San Francisco. I mean, Geno Smith could go crazy, but do we really see him doing that against this team? I don't. Yeah, that Niners defense has been so good, and the Seahawks offense actually has gotten you know relatively worse as the season's gone on. I, I think they are happy to be there. Not saying they can't cover the number, but uh, I think it's very, very likely that the 49ers win this game. I think the Seahawks can score 14 points in this game, and I, that's their problem. And so I, I kind of look at them and I go, okay, their ceiling in this game is trying to win a game ugly. I don't think that they can uh, get more than 14 in this game. So that's where I kind of think that they're a little hamstrung. Um, on Saturday uh, in the evening – we will have the Chargers and Justin Herbert on NBC making his debut in the playoffs, uh, playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Chargers heading to Florida to play at Jacksonville. Um, I'm really excited to see Herbert play. I think a lot of the country has got a chance to know him a little bit, but the playoffs are where you really get to shine, and he's going to get Saturday night uh, on NBC to himself, and, and I think that's a winnable game for the Chargers. I agree. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a pretty much a pick 'em in this one because Jacksonville, you know, they've been playing really well. Trevor Lawrence uh, has been really good in his second year. I think it's a good showcase of good young quarterbacks, right, in their first playoff game as well. Uh, you know, for the Chargers though, I just don't trust Brandon Staley at all. So that's the one problem I have is can I trust him to go on the road and be a really good coach and make good decisions? You know, in a playoff atmosphere, I don't know that I can. Uh, Herbert and the Chargers definitely can win. I think the Jags are going to win because of the uh, coaching mismatch that is in this game. Yeah, I'm having a hard time pick a winner here. I think whatever happens, I think it's going to be close. But uh, I just shout out Trevor Lawrence. I mean, real rough start in his career. He had a really nice uh, step forward this season. Uh, but don't sleep on Travis Atien. He might do some damage here. And you look at the quarterbacks who are playing right now. Like, you know, throw out Geno Smith, throw out Brock Purdy. 
Um, I think the 49ers and Seahawks could both say they're in the position. They are not because of their quarterbacks, but Justin Herbert's going to be playing. Tua's going to be playing. Josh Allen's going to be playing. Uh, you, you, Trevor Lawrence is playing. Joe Burrow is playing. Um, you know, you have Brady, you have Dak Prescott. Like, you know, you've got some really good quarterbacks that will be leading their teams. And we talk about what a quarterback-centric game it is. But, you know, Chargers-Jags is really interesting with two really good young quarterbacks. Let's move to the Sunday games. Dolphins at the Bills. Um, you know, everybody's picking the Bills and the Chiefs and the AFC. Buffalo at home in this game. They feel like a team of destiny to me. This is a Sunday morning game, 10 a.m. on CBS. I, I like Buffalo. I think they still have the glow of DeMar Hamlin kind of around them as a program. And Miami's had a nice season, but that's an eight-loss team. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, Team of Destiny, it really does seem that way for Buffalo, especially in the first round against you know a Miami team that still has questions at the quarterback spot. Who's actually going to be there? Is it Tua? Is it Teddy Bridgewater? Skylar Thompson? I think you're right. I think it's Buffalo. I think they uh, control this game. Yeah, I, I think Buffalo is going to win this game. But don't forget, Miami did beat Buffalo in week four or five. You know, they, they took care of them. And then, look team of destiny, but there might be a little bit of a potential letdown in this game. The last game was so emotional. You had the two special teams touchdowns. I don't think they're going to do that, but but it might be something to watch if they just sort of take a sigh and just exhale a little bit. I think Josh Allen's too good. They're nine and a half point favorite at home. I, I, I like Buffalo in the game, but you're right. You got to guard against a letdown. The New York Giants play at Minnesota. Uh, and uh, this one's interesting to me. It's 130 on Fox. Um, Minnesota kind of flying under the radar, though, even though they have 13 wins. They just kind of cruise along. Not, not, you know, People talk about the Chiefs. They talk about the Bills. talk about the Niners. Why does anybody talk about the Minnesota Vikings? <laughs> uh, I don't, because they're not that great. I mean, you are what your record says you are, and they are 13-4. and four. They had a negative point differential this season. They were minus three. You, know? you look at the Eagles at plus 133, the Bills at plus 169. But at the end of the day, they did enough to get it done. But I think it's that, and people, you know, they sort of know what Kirk Cousins is, and they don't necessarily believe in him. Yeah, I think it's because they're 30th in opponents' yards per play, 28th in points per game, 31st in yards a game. Like, the defense is one of the worst in the NFL, not just at the playoff teams, but in the entire league. And I think that's why no one's really taking them seriously. And then Peter talks about Kirk Cousins in prime time. That is a legitimate thing. Like, he is, he hasn't really been great in these type of games. I think that's the reason why you're not uh, – people aren't taking Minnesota very seriously, as I am not taking Minnesota seriously. Yeah, you got Daniel Jones against Kirk Cousins in this one. And we can talk about great quarterbacks, but I'm not seeing it, you know, <laughs> uh, in this game. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys a question when we finish all this because, you know, we have the Niners, we have the Eagles in the NFC, we have the, the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC. I, I want everyone to pick a team that could be a disruptor to that foursome meeting in the AFC and NFC title picture. Uh, but as we talk about this, I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. Uh, the Ravens will play at Cincinnati um, in uh, a game uh, on NBC, 515 on Sunday. It's the late game. Uh, you know, I, I like the Bengals in this game. Uh, I think the Bengals are a little pissed off, too. They're a seven-point favorite. Uh, they, you know, they didn't you know, get the respect, I guess, that they felt like they deserved. They didn't like how the NFL put this thing together. But uh, I just think the Bengals are a better team. They've been on a, a stage, and I don't think the Ravens are quite in that class yet. 
Yeah, yeah. I agree. Oh, sorry, Stephen. No, uh, I agree with that completely. Uh, you know, the Bengals, they started a little iffy. I thought they were a team coming into the season that might take a step back. It really looked like they had in the first half. They've been on fire in the second half. Joe Burrow continuing to do big things. And the Ravens, I mean, Lamar Jackson may go. I mean, I'm assuming he will go. Uh, but how healthy, how smooth, how rusty is he going to be? I, I like the Bengals all, Bengals all the way here. Yeah, you touched on that, Peter. It's Lamar Jackson. This, does he play? And even if if he does play, doesn't matter because it's a knee injury that he has, and we've seen that the threat he is as a running, you know, as a running quarterback, but it's an MCL sprain. That is a tough injury to bounce back from. The Ravens have no threats at receiver, and you know, I think the Bengals had this game uh, in hand. And John, you're right; they feel like they have something to prove after the whole uh, Bills game getting canceled. They feel like they got uh, you know ripped off a little bit, so I think they do have something to prove a little bit. They made as much noise as they could make without looking bad. You know right, what I mean? Because right. in the wake of the injury, nobody wanted to be like, hey, that injury cost us. But So they 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 were squawking a little bit, but I think they have a chance to make some noise on Sunday night. Uh, on Monday night, 5-15 on ESPN, Dallas goes to Tampa. 12-win Cowboys going to the 8-win Buccaneers. Buccaneers are getting points at home. They're plus 2.5. Uh, Dallas... Kind of laid an egg last week against Washington, and I don't know if that was just, hey, they knew the Eagles and the Niners were likely to win. Maybe they, you know, bring their A game. But really kind of lingering in the back of my mind is that flat performance. I'll still take the Cowboys, but Tom Brady in a one-off situation on a Monday night, maybe he finds some magic. I'm taking the Cowboys, and I said this. You know, I like the Cowboys this year. That does it does worry me a little bit the performance last week, but I think it's more of, of the fact they didn't really have much to play for. It was a very long shot. You know, two double digit dogs would have to win outright for them to have a chance uh, to get to that for, uh, number one seed. So I don't think they had much to play for. Washington wanted to get that win. I still think Dallas is maybe the most talented team in the NFC. I don't trust the coaching staff, but I do think that they're very talented. Uh, I like Dallas to go into Tampa Bay, who has been really bad this year. Like, not just, you know, they haven't been unlucky. I think they've been really bad. So I, I think Dallas has got this one. Dal- Dallas is the better team, but Dak Prescott has been sneaky, kind of not good this year. And if there's nothing else, I, yeah, Tampa Bay has not been a good team. You know, they're only a game over 500 at home. I'm not betting against Tom Brady on Monday night. I've learned my lesson. It's over the last 20 years. I've learned not to do that. It sounds crazy. I'm going Buccaneers. I want you guys to think about this during the commercial break. You can't pick the Niners or the Eagles, and you can't pick the Bills and the Chiefs. But pick another team that has a chance to be a disruptor. Who's your dark horse pick to make the Super Bowl? Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, I'm looking for, uh, I'm look, not a long shot, but somebody who's a disruptor. Not the 49ers, not the Eagles. Everybody expects the Niners and Eagles to end up in the NFC title game. They're among the favorites, as are the Bills and the Chiefs. Uh, the Eagles and the Chiefs will be off this weekend. They get buys. They're the only two teams that get buys. But the Niners will be uh, hosting the Seahawks. The Bills will be hosting the Dolphins. And I'm asking you, give me a team that isn't one of the top four that you think could be a disruptor and make the Super Bowl. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Uh, I want to go first. Uh, and I was very tempted here to take the Bengals, 
and Joe Burrow because they kind of been there before. They know what it takes to get there. But I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to take the Los Angeles Chargers at 10-7 and 7 as a little bit of a dark horse with Justin Herbert to make some noise. They are, you know, not a dynamic offensive team, but they're pretty good. Uh, they aren't a great defensive team. Uh, they're particularly, um, you know, better than they have been. But I think they've got enough with Herbert. I think they're going to beat Jacksonville to advance, and I think they could be problematic for somebody. Chargers a, a, a possible disruptor. That's what I'm saying. Uh, they'll get their chance on Saturday on NBC at 5:15 to play the Jaguars. They get through that game. I think you know they got a puncher's chance. Guys, who do you like? I'm going to go with the Cowboys, and I talked about this a little bit last segment, but I think that they're going to get by the Bucks, and if they do that, and chalk holds up, and the Vikings beat the Giants. They take on the Eagles in the second round, and we saw what happened a couple weeks ago in Dallas. Yes, it was with Gardner Minshew, but I don't know how much of a difference there is between Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew. I know Hurts is better, but I do think that Gardner Minshew provides a different um, different type of threat on the offensive side of Jalen Hurts. And I think the Cowboys, if they can get by the Bucks and they can take the Eagles on in round two, I think they can get by them as well. Eagles have some injuries. Lane Johnson's been hurt. Uh, a couple of the guys have been banged up. I think Dallas can win that game and get to the um, NFC title game where probably lose with the 49ers, but I think they can cause some noise and uh, you know beat those two teams. Yeah, John, you're not taking the Bengals, but I am. I mean, winners of eight in a row. They were there last year. They didn't win, but they got the experience, and they didn't look great early. It looked like a little bit of a hangover. They started 0-2. You know, they started 2-3. and uh, But look, Burrow... Mix in eight wins in a row. And look, some of these aren't the, the best wins, but they beat the Chiefs. They beat Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. Uh, they beat the Ravens just last week, who they're taking on here. I think they're going to be steady. They know what it takes, and uh, they could pose a threat. You're not wrong. I mean, I, I, they're the other team that I considered. And I think Dallas is not a bad pick either, especially given, you know, we, we always talk about rhythm. And, Stephen, you taking the Cowboys – I don't like how they played last week. I, you know, I don't. But you're right. They, they. That's a 12-win team. That's a team that if Philadelphia is not firing on all cylinders, if Jalen Hurts comes back and maybe the shoulder isn't right, then all of a sudden, you know, it's got to be somebody else in the NFC. And Joe Burrow and the Bengals, you know, it wasn't that long ago, right? They were, they were in that Super Bowl, and they weren't run out of that building in the Super Bowl. And so maybe. Maybe they find their second win and come back. I don't know. I just there's, I'm looking at Herbert going. This is your time, man. This is your time to shine. And I think he'll they'll beat the Jaguars, and then it'll set up a nice you know second round matchup. And that's them. the thing with Herbert there, John. Like you touched on, they're playing the Jaguars. Like that's the matchup you want if you're going to be in the AFC. You wanted to play the Jaguars on the road rather than the Bengals or the Bills. So the so the Chargers got the you know the ultimate outcome that they want to take on this Jaguars team, who again very talented, good coach. But it's still a young team. I think you're right. And if they play the Chiefs, you, we've seen in the past, like the Chargers are not afraid to go up against the Chiefs and try to outscore them and be smart. And Brandon State is going to go for it and fourth down all the time. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's a good choice with Justin Herbert because if he really is the man and he looks like he should be uh, as a quarterback, this is the time where you know you come in your third season, you can make a little run here. I'm going to ask you guys some questions. I don't know if I have the answers to these questions, but I'm going to start with this one. Um, if if uh, Kansas City is healthy, can anybody beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? 
I think yes. I think the Bills uh, is the easy answer on that one. I think Josh Allen uh, proved it earlier. They beat him earlier in the season. I think the Bills could be the best team in the AFC now. The emotions, like Peter talked about, is is going to be a real thing. They've been through a lot of emotions the last few weeks. Uh, but I do think the Bills, maybe even the Bengals, could beat them a little bit. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, yes, it's possible. But, I mean, the Chiefs are so good. Mahomes, you're talking about been there, done that. I mean, there, there's, there's a reason they're not playing this weekend. So it could happen. Uh, if it's going to happen, I, I don't know. Like, the Buffalo, to me, is the... Uh, Technically, maybe the best team in the AFC. Of course, you know, Kansas City earned that that buy. But I just think momentum is on Cincinnati's side. I think if someone's going to do it, it's going to be Cincinnati who blows through and then meets them and takes care of them. Brock Purdy, is he good enough to take the Niners to the Super Bowl? Is he good enough to win a Super Bowl? Does he have to be? I don't know that he has to be. I think the 49ers are that good, like around him. They may have the best roster around him. So I don't know that he has to. I think... I think if the answer to the question, though, I think he's not just by himself, but I don't think he's going to have to be, and I think Kyle Shanahan knows that. He's going to put him in some great situations, not have to make a lot of plays. So I'm going to go with no, but I'm also going to go with I don't know that he has to. Yeah, he's good enough It's because it's a team game. It's not the quarterback skills competition that they used to do in the late 90s. So maybe he's not the ultimate you know, leader and he's not going to put up 400 yards. Doesn't matter. He he can play within that system. They're, they're scoring points. I mean, last uh, last week, notwithstanding. And uh, yeah, he's good enough. I, I just keep looking at him thinking that, you know, what they're asking him to do and what they asked Jimmy Garoppolo to do in that offense, it's, you know, you don't have to carry the team. But if they get into a situation where somebody defensively, you know, makes them beat them throwing the football, maybe we have another conversation. And I also think in a Super Bowl scenario against the Chiefs in particular, I don't know if they can score with the Chiefs. I saw it earlier in the season. Again, it was a Garoppolo uh, quarterback team, but the Niners just didn't look capable earlier in the year of staying with the Chiefs. I'll be curious to see if that holds up. Uh, other questions that I have, um, it, you know, the Cowboys are going on the road to Tampa. Is Tom Brady, is this it for him, guys? Do you think this is the last time on Monday night we're going to see him against the Cowboys? Is this possibly the last time we see Tom Brady uh, in an NFL game? I think the last time we see him in a Tampa Bay jersey. I, I think he'll be somewhere else next season, so that's a no. I, I, I think there's going to be suitors out there for him that think that he still has enough and he has enough in the tank to maybe put him over the top or just improve at that position. So I think Tom Brady will be back. Seems like maybe uh, Las Vegas, Vegas seems like a good spot with Josh McDaniels there not being fired quite yet. Uh, he knows him very well, so I think he'll be back next year. Brady in Vegas. Look out. Gronk Bay come back after all. I want to give out a just happy to be here award. Look at the teams that are playing. Who's just happy to be in the playoffs in your mind? Oh, it's got to be the Seahawks, doesn't it? Maybe the Jaguars? I was going to go Dolphins. Oh, yeah, because you know, with all the quarterback stuff they've had, they really limped into the. I think they lost the last six before they won last week. What was it, a nine to six or eleven to six against the Jets? That team is not playing well. I think they're just happy to be there. I'll take the Giants. I mean, by virtue of their tie, I think they get in. You know, they're nine seven and one versus nine and eight. But uh, you know, I, I look at the Giants and I go, okay, they got to be just happy to be in there because of what they've been through in the last couple of few years and. You know, the Seahawks, they're probably looking already to the draft a little bit, but they're playing with house money. And Pete Carroll, in a one-off situation, I think he's as dangerous as Tom Brady is. I I don't think either one of them are going to win this weekend, but 
I, th- I still think they're a little bit dangerous. Peter Sampson in the Pulse coming up top of the hour. Leave it here. Some parting thoughts coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson uh, coming up with the Pulse. Top of the hour. Want you here for it. It's a great show. The after party, more or less, of the happy hour uh, as it continues uh, here on 750 The Game. A uh, whole bunch of people out there, uh, you know, I guess went to sleep during the Georgia TCU national title game. From an entertainment standpoint, the game stunk. It was a letdown. It was a disappointment. It was, um, you know, I, I heard from people who said, uh, you know, I made a joke in my column on johnconzano.com. Hey, you probably, you know, were rearranging your sock drawer. I literally got an email from somebody who said, I actually was folding my socks, and I turned the game off. And I was like, okay, we got to talk about this because there's an entertainment aspect to the NFL. There's an entertainment aspect to college football that, you know, we all are well aware that, you know, if you are investing time, energy, effort, money, your disposable income, season tickets, travel, to go to a game, and the game is a dud – uh, we're all well aware that this is a failure. Like, I think on some level, the people that are angry out there, like that fan who made that rant, I want to play that rant again, that crazy fan who freaked out at the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, I mean, he's really upset. If you listen to what he's saying here, he's upset at the committee because the committee did not deliver a compelling football game uh, on his Monday night. And he's trying to speak for America. Congratulations. You need to pat yourself on the back because you have screwed every college football fan in this country tonight. That's what you have done. You have done that. Look at this right here. 45 to 7. Okay? Look at this. They just... Luckily, he dropped the ball. What, 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 What is this? What is this? What have you given us? This is a national championship game. That's what this is. And it's 45 to 7. You thought TCU belonged in this game? What was the qualifications, College Football Playoff Committee? What was their qualifications? Getting beat by Kansas State. That qualifies you for this game. The biggest game of the year. The game that every college football fan, no matter what team, they pull for, looks forward to. And this is the garbage that you gave us. Pathetic. You are pathetic. This is a disaster. This is a barn fire. And every one of you, not one of you deserves to be on that committee if this is what you think college football is supposed to look like. You owe us all an apology. Every one of you that's on that committee that pulled some crap like this deserves us all an apology. And I want it. This better not ever happen again. This committee needs to be redone, got done away with, whatever you want to call it.
He is fired up, and he's on TikTok, Mississippi State fan, all fired up about the college football playoff committee. Um, but, he, you know, it underscores a larger point about sports and entertainment. On one hand, a lot of us just want the games to be played out in the former fashion that they're going to be played out. The NFL, for example, gives the top seed in the NFC and the top seed in the AFC the week off, the standings, or the results of the regular season dictate who the two, three, four, five, six, seven seed are, and this is how it goes out. But then the NFL does do something. They take the matchups, and they jockey them around, and they try to present compelling and entertaining television, and they try to give us a Monday night matchup that has the Dallas Cowboys playing the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or they try to give us um, a matchup on uh, uh, Sunday night that has the Ravens playing the Bengals. And, you know, Saturday is kind of the West Coast Seahawks 49ers, Chargers, Jaguars matchups. And, you know, there is an entertainment element to this. Um, and we find it all the time in the college regular season, the athletic directors and the conferences, hell, the Pac-12 has taken forever to get the schedule out, but the athletic directors and the conferences really are thinking about entertainment because they want to sell season tickets and they want to sell compelling matchups to their television partners who, and, and make them happy about it. It's why Colorado is going to play a week zero game. They're going to play a conference game. You know, Deion Sanders, first year head coach in the Pac-12, is going to play Kenny Dillingham. Arizona State, first-time, first-year head coach in the Pac-12 in a Week 0 matchup. Like, ideally, if I am Kenny Dillingham, I like to play some non-conference games before I get into conference play. But they're going to match up Arizona State, and they're going to match up Colorado, a game that would probably fly under the radar if it were Carl Durrell against Herm Edwards. But we're going to get Deion Sanders and Kenny Dillingham, and they're going to put it in Week 0, why? Because it's entertaining. There's an entertainment value to this. And I often dismiss it because I like competition. I want to see merit-based stuff. But, guys, did the playoff committee get it wrong by including TCU? Or did they get it wrong by seeding it in a, in a way that gave us the potential for TCU and Georgia in the title game? Should they have made TCU the four seed? just to say, hey, look, if you're going to matter, you've got to play Georgia right away. Is there an entertainment piece to this that the committee missed? Yes, and I, I thought they were fully going to put TCU at that four spot because they didn't want exactly what happened last night to happen, just the potential of a TCU-Georgia game, which seemed like it was going to be a blowout. I think if Michigan were to play uh, Georgia, it may have been a little more competitive, and the th same thing with Ohio State. Ohio State-Georgia was much more competitive. I thought for sure because of that, um, TC was going to be that four seed, just like Cincinnati was the four seed last year. Like, go up against Alabama. If you beat them, okay, that's fine, but we don't think you're going to. I think the same thing was going to happen this year. It didn't, and now we're looking at it, and it's, you know, one of the lower-rated uh, national championship games, and it was a blowout on the field. We're talking about what we did do during the game instead of watch the game. I think it was a missed opportunity by the committee if they're just going for full, you know, fun factor and entertainment status, but I do think if you look at it on the field, like, they got the rankings for the correct way. I always wonder, like, you know, we know now 
that there's an entertainment aspect or an entertainment element to all of sports. The Blazers and the NBA, you know, they want their games to be entertaining. They want them to be must-see television. They want them to be must-attend events. Uh, I, I do think in the college football regular season, the, you get a lot of this that goes on. And I'm left thinking about last night's game. Like, I think TCU, you know, I don't know who else the committee was supposed to put in if you're only allowed to take four teams. And USC loses to Utah in the Pac-12 title game. It's not like you can go, hey, that game didn't matter. You know, Caleb Williams, you know, USC, they got blown off the field by Utah. It didn't matter as much. You know, still going to put him in. I, I mean, I would like to have seen Caleb Williams in that USC offense against Georgia's defense, but let's let's not be silly. Georgia beats USC by 21-plus. You know, I think USC would have scored on him better, moved the ball on him better, but I don't think they win that game. I, I now am left thinking, like, you know, the only thing the committee could have done there was I think the committee could have said we're going to make, you know, Michigan and Ohio State play again. But wouldn't that have fallen short? Like, wouldn't people in the Big Ten have gone, hey, we just saw this thing. Give us, you know, I think they were in, in a conundrum. I agree with you. I wanted to ask you the question of when the college football playoff expands, do you think it's going to be more likely that a team like Georgia or the number one team in the nation loses in the first round, or is it going to be more blowouts? Because – I, I think it's going to be more of the same where we're going to see one more game, but it's not necessarily going to turn out where there's going to be you know an upset. And even if there is an upset, I think that might necessarily that might be bad for the entertainment factor because you're still losing out on the best teams. I mean, there's an upset that I think TCU beat Michigan, and, and I think we're going to see those kinds of upsets. But I also think this Georgia team that went 15 and 0 is it was very special, and. And I'm not with like I I get it. There's a lot of his there's a lot of enthusiasm for Georgia football right now, and even the beat reporter Chip Towers, who I think does a, cr- a tremendous job. They're talking three peat already, and Georgia's schedule next year is tissue paper soft. It you know they play University of Alabama, Birmingham, they play Tennessee Martin, they play Georgia Tech. You know th- this isn't you know they're not they don't have to play. Alabama or LSU in the regular season. They play in November at Tennessee. That is their big test. And that's a really soft schedule, and it really they will probably end up back in the SEC title game again. But I think this Georgia team and last year's Georgia team had a lot of special players on it, and I think Stenson Bennett was a really good quarterback. I think Georgia's got some questions to answer, and I just wonder if we will see a team as dominant as this year's Georgia team was starting the year 49 to 3 against Oregon, ending the year 65 to 7 against TCU, leaving no doubt that they were the best team in college football this season. I still think they need to go out next year and prove that they belong, even though I don't know if they're going to get tested for a while. So I don't know if we're going to see uh you know a 55 nothing game in the early round of the 12 team playoff. I think that's TBD. Leave it here, Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up. It's kind of the after party to the happy hour. I want you here for it. Just leave that dial right where it is as Peter Sampson has a big-time Pac-12 interview. He's going to talk some Oregon State basketball.